everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Today is February the 17th, 2021. If you do not know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that talks about all things media, including movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order. We give you news, thoughts about new releases, upcoming things we're excited about, all sorts of things, only here exclusively. Well, probably not exclusively. There's probably other outlets covering these things, but they don't count when you get our take. Our take is the one that matters. And we have some takes this week. So get ready for this. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. We have our own takes on a lot of stuff that happened this week, which is why you come to us for special takes on that. Also, uh, happy Ash Ketchum Wednesday, everybody. (laughs) Jesus. No, Pokemon Week is next week. Oh, but today is Ash Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I saw Fat Tuesday, and I was so stuffed. (laughs) While we're on the subject, I saw that some some Catholic church was doing digital ash things through a phone app okay where you could like like a instagram filter kind of style thing where you would take like vit selfie video of yourself and it would just like put the ash cross on your forehead digitally mm-hmm. and i was like that's one way to do it sure um, drive throughs i guess maybe <laughs> drive through ashing just apologies to our catholic audience anyways that's you mark <laughs> oh, oh and my future's and uh, my future brother-in-law. Okay. Well, shout are, out. Shout out. You're, you're Catholic. I know that because <laughs> wedding in a Catholic church. And that's all we got. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about movies first and foremost here. Real quick, the box office did still exist sort of this week. The Crudes is your number one movie again, somehow. With $2.08 million, followed by the new release this week, which we'll be talking about a little later, Judas and the Black Messiah at $2.07 million. Uh, other Warner, Warner's other film still in the top five, The Little Things at $2.04 at number three. So just means that, hey, some box office, because that's $6 million right there. Yeah, it's something. For box office weekend. It's a lot higher than it has been. And the fact that all three of those movies crossed $2 million in a weekend. Yeah. Big ups. Yeah. It's something. But the real showstoppers here are in movie news. Let's start the movie news by talking about a movie adaptation that's been moving forward slowly based on a media boat favorite video game franchise. Well... I hesitate saying favorite because I feel like three was such a disappointment. We kind of bounced right off of it and maybe it's not really a favorite anymore, but it maybe was back in the day. At one point it was our favorite. Yes. So the movie adaptation of the video game series Borderlands is still happening. Eli Roth's own adaptation of the game series. And casting news keeps trickling out. So we've gotten most of the cast at this point, with the newest edition being none other than everyone's favorite, Jack Black. Lionsgate's movie adaptation of the popular video game, um, as, as I said, he joins an A-list ensemble that already includes Cate Blanchett, 
Kevin Hart and Jamie Lee Curtis. Black is going to be the voice of Claptrap, which I feel like people made it as a joke Ooh. for a while. That like, oh, where are they going to get Jack Black to be Claptrap? And they did it. I feel like you swap Jack Black and Kevin Hart here, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> well, maybe not. That wouldn't work Let's for see. reasons. Let's see. Who is everyone playing now? <laughs> um, the rest of the cast, in case you're wondering, Kate Blanchett will be Lilith. Jamie Lee Curtis is Tannis. And Kevin Hart is currently cast as Roland, which makes sense. But he's not tall enough. Also, he's not serious enough. I feel like that role is not a comedic role in the video games. But Yeah, it's not comedic. But I mean, no. granted, Kevin Hart does have the videos of him working out. So he is buffer. <laughs> I think he got there, body-wise. his voice still doesn't say no. leader commando, though. No. Especially compared to the video game version. Especially because isn't there some sort of romantic arc between Lilith and him? Yes. I also are. don't see that working at all. <laughs> no. It's explicitly implied romantic arc. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, so director Eli Roth, as I mentioned, previously collaborated with Black and Blanchett on the 2018 family comedy The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Um, so Nathan Kahane, president of the Lion Gates Motion Picture Group, says choosing Black for the role was, quote, one of the biggest no-brainer casting decisions we've ever made. So get ready for Jack Black Claptrap. Say that five times fast. Aside from Jamie Lee Curtis as Tannis, you didn't, you didn't say I don't like any fast. of these. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Jack Black Claptrap. Jack Thank Black Claptrap. Jack Black Claptrap. Okay. Um, aside from Jamie Lee Curtis as Tannis, I don't like any of these. Yeah, no, calls. none of these work. And Jamie Lee Curtis, even for for Tannis, I feel like she ages a little she higher. Aged than out of that, that character is in the games. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know what Eli Roth has in mind with this adaptation. Maybe it's something different than what we're getting. Maybe we're not thinking wild enough. Maybe this is a further down the timeline version of these characters. But then again, uh, how is Roland alive then? Right. That was brought up in a lot of discussions <laughs> that I've seen. So yeah, there's a lot of questions. Why? Maybe when we see a trailer for this thing, finally, we'll get an idea of kind of what this movie is going to be. But until then, man, I don't know why they're making this. Who is this for? Especially since we saw how well Monster Hunter did. A mm-hmm. Recent video game adaptation do. with the same kind of premise of big over-the-top action yeah. for a video game. Yeah, I don't know what they're going for here. Um, it's a mystery to me. But hey, not our only adaptation we'll be talking about uh, this podcast. No, and we'll get there. But first, there's some other bits of news to get to. See what I did there? Because next, <laughs> it's time to gather up all the other stories that dropped about movies this week in Movie Bits. So I tried not to do the bits, but... Yeah. I, why not? I can, why not? The bits are good. I like the bits. First up in the bits bits. this week, Dane Guria, I probably butchered that that person's name. That is a Denai. Okay, Denai Guria. Guria of Black Panther and of The Walking Dead. Yes, who was? He was the captain's guard, Akuya. Okay, is attached to play Shirley Chisholm, the first Black Panther congresswoman in an upcoming biopic the fighting shirley chisholm 
from Stephanie Elaine, director of Dear White People. That's a lot of names in there. Yeah, that sounds like a good project. Yeah, I can see that. Next up, a competing biopic. Regina King will play Shirley Chisel in a biopic written and directed by John Ridley, American Crime, who have an exclusive agreement with the Chisel State. Yes. Dueling biopics. Um, not necessarily biopic directly. Unsure of what the Deny Guerrera film will be about. <laughs> uh, whether Shirley it's Chisholm is my best her guess. In, uh, whether it's her already in Congress. Is it Chisholm or Chisholm? Am I mispronouncing it, It's Chisholm. Oh, I am mispronouncing that. Thank yes. you. The Yellow Silent. Uh but the Virginia King biopic will be her rise through politics into a leading figure in the Democratic Party. I see. And assumption, according to the synopsis, ending with her giving the lead speech in the DNC in 1972, I think. Okay. I saw. But yeah, uh, as Hollywood loves to do, two competing films featuring mm-hmm. the same premise. Somebody heard an idea from somebody through somebody through somebody's agent and then yeah, both studios got the same project Trying to the fast ground. track them against each other. Yep. 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 But that's not the end of our casting or casting adjacent news as we have Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya who we'll be talking about later in the podcast. Starring in Jordan Peele's next movie. No other details were given about what that is going to be, though. And no other details will probably be given, seeing <laughs> as his last film, Us, yeah. had zero details revealed until the first trailer. Yeah, so it's a wait and see on that one. And then lastly, in the movie bits here, in case you didn't figure this out a long time ago, they're making another Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 has a date of April 8th, 2022. A teaser logo was shown, and it's what everybody figured it was going to be. It's got those little tails at the end of of it, which means, yes, you'll get a tails in Sonic 2, because you have to. Every Sonic 2 has a tails in it. Mm -hmm. Did anybody check, though, is April 8th a um, traditional movie release day of Friday, or is it Tuesday in uh, spirit of Sonic Tuesday? No, I'm going to assume it's a traditional Friday. (laughs) Because oh, if they really wanted it, they would release it. It would already been made. <laughs> just saying that's coming to uh, see that's a Warner Brothers film. So is it Universal? I think it's Universal. Who did who did Sonic? It? Who did Sonic? I don't remember. This was it's been this a while. year. Yeah, I know. You would think we or would last know. year, twenty twenty. Uh, anyways. Anyway, um, um, so yeah, yeah. If it had something in the pipeline. It would be for February twenty second, twenty twenty two, which I believe falls on a Tuesday. Yeah, that is That'd not a, a surprise. No surprises here is basically what I say. That is a Paramount film. I just okay, so up. coming to Paramount Plus then. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. They have not really specified what they're going to do about their films going forward in twenty twenty one. So, oh, or twenty twenty two in this case, right? 
Anyways, that's it for the bits, uh, for movie bits. We bundled them all up for you in a tight little package. Uh, you can thank us later. Anything else that we want to talk about films and uh, before we get into the movie we both watched this week? No, we should definitely get to the movie, though, because we have some thoughts. Uh, yeah, um, I'm interested to see what you have to think about this. Uh, as we alluded to last week, HBO Max has been doing its um, series of uh, streams that coincide with theatrical releases for Warner Brothers movies. And we mentioned last week that, yeah, it hasn't been so stellar so far, but there was promise behind this week's new release, which is Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, looks like there had been some award show buzz behind this thing. It's got a lot of big names. It's a uh, based on historical events kind of, uh, kind of film that is specifically relevant for our modern day politics and is also specifically relevant for coming out in Black History Month. And yeah, um, I don't even know where to begin with this. Uh, I'll, I'll begin with, yeah. did you watch last year not was it last year okay so 2019 film black klansman which was nominated for oscar in 2020 no i have not i still have not seen that film you should probably watch that okay because i understand that there are there's some similarities there's some um maybe a little bit of a different kind of take uh that from my understanding is more fictionalized than this yes i mean it is Spikely joint for Black Klansman. Right, right. So it is a little bit more, kind of leads more heavily into the Black Plantation film genre. Right. He's going for a specific kind of feel there. This is more like a, a, a film, a modern film about a thing that happened. So to... did you like The Departed? Well, I, fun fact, I also haven't seen The Departed. <laughs> Okay, what, what kind of podcast are we doing again here? <laughs> you know I'm not the movie guy. You're the movie guy. Yes, you should but those are it. two excellent films. Sure. Both Oscar-nominated films mm-hmm. that kind of set the groundwork for this film, Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Basically, take those two, smash it together, kind of what you get. That's just a very broad strokes because... Go into this movie as blind as you can. I did. It is great. Well, that's not necessarily true. I went into this movie knowing about, vaguely, about who some of the main characters were. Okay. Um, but the specifics, uh, some of the specifics were new to me. So. so general broad strokes, this deals with the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. Chicago, the CIA... Is it FBI? FBI. It's Hoover, so it's FBI. Yes, FBI. Yeah. So the FBI, Black Panther Party, Chicago, uh, 1960s, I believe. Specifically, it seems like early 1969, the summer specifically of 1969, and then 1970. Right. So it's that kind of span of time, about a year. Okay. So that is your basic premise of, hey, this is clearly one straight up conflict Mm -hmm. two straight up racial conflict three historical racial conflict and Mm -hmm. mix all those together you get a pretty good sense of why this thing is very heavily nominated everywhere 
But then you have the acting of Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith, uh, what's his name? Steinfield. Yeah, so they're kind of the two main players here, important to note. So if you know anything about history of the Black Panther Party, probably know about these two guys. Uh, Kaluuya plays Fred Hampton, uh, kind of the figurehead of that era of the Black Panther Party. Um, Very, like, very talented orator, very good leader um and then you have kind of on the flip side of that you have uh bill o'neill who is basically a car thief who gets recruited by the fbi to be a informant of spy essentially to embed himself within the black panthers and tell the fbi information about the party as a whole and specifically fred hampton and those two characters give you Judas and the Black Messiah. Right, yeah, which makes the title really, really work well in that kind of way. You get instantly, the title gives you an instant idea of, okay, this is basically how these people are viewed in this story. So my takeaway here, so we, first of all, I, yeah, I think that one of the things that this movie is going to be, the one thing you talk about when you talk about this movie the conversation seems to be mostly kind of surrounding this and for good reason is Kaluuya's performance here is amazing. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. This is the thing that this movie does the best. This is the thing to see this movie for is to see Kaluuya's performance. I just want to hand him the supporting actor Oscar right now. Ooh, you think he's the supporting actor in this? Yeah, that. well, that's the thing. And I'll get there. I'll get there because that is the one thing I want to say about this movie. Because generally, I'll say it right now, I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very well-made, well-directed movie with a lot of great performances. Um, I think the storytelling is well done. I think that it has something to say without ever having to bring up the current moment in racial injustice in America, because it doesn't have to. Because the thing that this film is saying is that it's always been like this. And there are mechanisms in the system that keep it that way. And I think putting in the historical context of this event, of these events that maybe a lot of their audience will not know the details of is good because it gives context for why like these things are still happening uh, for people who maybe are quicker to shove things under the rug, like the U.S. government's intervention in these things. Right, compared Um, to Black Klansman, which draws direct parallels to today's events. This doesn't need to. You see what's happening here in 1969, and you can immediately be like, oh, that's just like last July. That's just like 2015. That's just, you know, you could extrapolate just based on the information that you're seeing here. Um, And so, yeah, so generally, like, overall, I think this is a really stellar depiction of those events and those people but the choice to focus so much on Bill O'Neill's story and have that be the focal point instead of the story of Fred Hampton, which is arguably way more fascinating and way more interesting and the better performance on screen, is maybe a choice I would have rethought. Because when you take the focus away in the scenes that don't involve that story, that's when the movie kind of gets a little lost for me. 
Well, Fred and Hampton's I, son, Fred Hampton Jr., mm -hmm. was on set every day and did yeah. provide historical notes and accuracies yeah. according to you know everything that he's been told about his father. And that could be very true. And, and yeah, it, that, that's true. It definitely shows with the way that they, with the reverence that they treat Fred Hampton in this film. What I'm saying is, is when the film kind, when the movie kind of diverts and kind of goes in this other direction and focuses so much on the FBI's interactions with O'Neill, and or weirdly, like even weirder, chooses to just focus on the FBI agent working with O'Neill and his like potential misgivings about the situations he's found himself in, is when the movie just completely loses loses track of what it's trying to say, and I think that. Those scenes, even though there's only maybe a handful in the film, I think do not do the film a service. I think if you excise some of that baggage and maybe tell a story that's more focused on the Fred Hampton stuff, I think you have a stronger piece of work. But that is a small nit to pick in the big, like the bigger picture version of the actual act of watching this movie and letting it kind of wash over you, I think is still a something I definitely recommend. Uh, yes, did, I see where, what I see Yeah, where what did you saying. kind of land? Where did you kind of land on, on this, uh, on its choice to kind of focus so much on O'Neill's? I thought that, well, once the story ended and how it ended, yeah, I've realized that, okay, that's why you went with this direction because, yeah, you can tell a straight biopic of Fred Hampton mm -hmm. and you would still have the end result and be like, well, that's just it. Just ending like here's the yeah. That's the that. story. Yeah, and that's the story. But with O'Neill, he carries the burden that he basically betrayed everyone, and you see mm -hmm. what happens and how the FBI manipulates people to do what they want, much like in the title says Judith. Yeah, and be becomes the betrayal. Yeah. You see that in the character development, which does make it a more interesting character because you go someone from wanting to do what's best for themselves to being forced into a corner to do their the bidding of someone mm -hmm. above them. I do think it there's something, the, yeah. It is the more interesting story. Is it even though? though is it is the more interesting character so that's that's the thing is i think there's a potential for it to be an interesting story i think you're right the the, the groundwork is laid just by the person who o'neill was in terms we, of like a story arc where we go from a yeah. to b yeah they have uh o'neill has the bigger change in character arc. you're not wrong you're you're correct and yes it's harder it, it's easier from a screenwriting pers perspective to write a character who is more who is more active in the story. And that is true of, of this. But the problem with that though, is that so much of O'Neill's arc is just kind of raced by because I feel like even the film knows the more interesting story is Hampton's. So you, when you do get those character moments, it's very vague. It kind of reminds me of the conversation we had about the little things about Rami Malek's character, how it seems like they want the audience to care but they're not doing the legwork. They're not putting enough scenes of patho pathos there for O'Neill to make you realize, oh shit, he's having second thoughts about this. Instead, they basically put the entire onus of that emotional shift on his acting. 
the one part time where I think it actually works is the last scene in the movie, right before they kind of do the recap, uh, mm-hmm. kind of then then what happened, kind of text on the screen. The way that he kind of timidly reaches for the a little spoilers, but eh, this is all based in historical fact, more or less, so it's fine. Um, the way that he kind of reaches for the last like um, uh, envelope of money and kind of the only tentatively pieces, the thirty pieces of silver. Yeah, and he puts it in his pocket, all you know, like like weirdly, and just kind of shaking all over, and is just so. you just can tell he's like so bent out of shape about this whole thing and this whole thing has changed him forever and when he asks him that like when there's that line where he asks him about like is there still a party and he goes like no there's not a party frank hant is dead even though they know that's a lie Mm -hmm. and then the it's hammered home by the text on screen which says apparently he keep he kept working for the fbi after that and like that's like that's the one time it works for me and the reason is is because it does what you were saying which is it basically says this is the metaphor for the fact that this doesn't end is that this kept going um but but you you need that legwork though to get to that moment of showing that yeah which is why you have so much of that conflict between o'neill and the informant but there's not o'neill and the fbi but again like you need to establish that connection of their work friendship you know what they could i think what would have made it more clear is if that if o'neill had a confidant within the panthers because every scene is always him at odds with like that that every character building scene for his character is him as uh, at odds with somebody instead of making a friend right well it's the odds to gain trust and yeah exactly given into him become the head security Right, but what I'm saying though is what it's it's easier for an audience to understand if he has somebody to basically be like, oh, but like I'm feeling weird about this. That isn't the FBI informant, right? I uh, see what you're saying. Because because that's I think the thing that but... the piece that's missing for me is the piece is the piece that explains that that has like allows the character to explain more about what like have an opportunity to think to say the things that you just see on his face yeah but that's what good acting is you can tell what's on his face you can read them from the from those expressions but also if you verbally say what you're feeling yes it's easier for the audience to understand but you have to be seeing it to someone and then they become a part of the overarching lie that he's telling you're right, but the reason why I want these things is because this is everything that they do do with Fred Hampton. And it's why that works, that story works so well. And it's why, because he doesn't only act his butt off in this movie, but Daniel Kaluuya actually has time to be a character, you know? Whereas the movie, because again, I think the movie is just more naturally fascinated in that character and just his presence on screen that you do kind of lose that that part of the, of the movie for O'Neill. That's all I'm saying is that I feel like it's so heavy tipped in the in the direction of Kaluuya's character that to have the movie's lead actor be the other guy is a choice. You know, it's a choice that maybe they had to make 
to make the movie that they wanted to do, but is is still a, a choice nonetheless. Right, but that choice, like I said, goes heavily into the arc of the character who has the greatest distance to go. Yeah. When we start the movie, Kaluuya is already there. He's already being hailed as the Black Messiah. Yeah. You can't go any further than that. Yeah. So the yes, you that would be a different film then of of his rise to power, how he became an influential figure. If that's the movie you want, that's not this film. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like the movie you want. The, to I don't know told. if it's the movie I want. I'm just saying that just, you want the more fascinating story of that. No, and that's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that's that I want a different movie. I'm saying that this movie. I think would be better and even stronger than it already is. And I think it's a very good movie if they spent more time with both of those characters. I think if the balance was more even is what I'm saying. I think what you're saying is that there's not enough time between those two main characters to be confided into each other. Maybe, maybe that's what you do. And maybe they avoided that because that may not have been historically accurate because if Fred was too close to Bill, then it would have been less effective for him to do what he ends up doing, right? You would have a greater betrayal, yes. Yeah. But the choice wouldn't have been as easy as it would have seemed because you're right. It, It does seem like the FBI is like, go do this. Mm-hmm. He just goes and does it. There's no, there's not a really big internal conflict that you have. Yeah. Because all it you gets get, yeah. executed. All you get is in the acting. All you mm-hmm. get is the way that he, and he's very good at it too, yeah. is like the way that he's kind of evolves through the film is fun, but it's all visual. It's all like, oh, he can, he's making so much money on the side now that he can afford to wear this like super expensive getup when he meets the FBI agent in the restaurant. It's like, oh, they're meeting at the restaurant again. Like it escalates visually. And then they do. Th- also, I want to get your kind of take on the one scene in this movie that seems like it's from another movie, which is where he encounters the guy, guy at the bar. Oh, Lil Ray? <laughs> yeah. What is your take on that? Because it, like I said, it seemed like it was like, I get why they did it ultimately thematically. Mm-hmm. But for a movie so based in historical reality, it seemed like a very strange choice. Because that was the that was him basically confronting himself, another black person, yeah, tr- trying to take down another black person. Yeah, it, it was no longer the white FBI right. telling him what to do. It was a fellow black person telling him what to do. You know, I'm not going to, you know, put my shoes too much in the writers of this film, but if I was, though, it def- that scene definitely has, like, made me think that, oh, this is the scene that they put in when they realized that they didn't have an explanation for the thing he was going through. And they needed to visualize it. Hmm. Maybe. I just thought it was kind of, like I said, kind of came out from left field a little bit. I don't know. That's why you had, a, I mean, that's why he had him chase him down at the end right after that to say like are you the fbi are you the police like who are you yeah like is this my job or are you just some random person and then when he gives him the 
the badge. It's mm-hmm. like that's when like everything clicks. Like they own him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if again though, if he didn't already know a certain like amount of that already, which I'm sure he did, or if you couldn't gather that from the title. <laughs> yes. <laughs> again, yeah, the title does a lot of work here. Yes. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't Which, know. Yes, great, great job on the naming. It's, it's very easy to follow when it's you know what's going to happen. Maybe it's a little on the nose, but I get Ooh. why. You know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, but it's still a powerful message. I mean, just in the yeah. So, alone. so yeah. Sorry, I kind of hijacked this this conversation, but but I don't know. Uh, How did you kind of feel about it overall? Did you have anything you specifically wanted to talk about? Um, I mean, can we talk more about the acting? Because no, yeah. Yeah, no, like seriously, just nominations all across the board here, even to uh, Daniela. What's her name? Oh, yeah, the shoot, what is her name? Yep, uh, yeah, the uh, girlfriend, yes, is fantastic, also in this movie. Their, yeah, their scenes together with her and Kaluuya are really good. Um, yeah, again uh, deborah johnson or sorry D- dominique fishback yeah dominique fishback again more so much character stuff comes mm-hmm. out of those scenes that you do not get with anybody else in this movie it allowed the the way that they are allowed to bounce off each other is i think part of the reason why his story is so interesting in this movie right and just everyone gives so much emotion on their faces mm-hmm. yeah it's just even when they're not saying anything, you just feel the dread, the suspense, the the height of what it is they're trying to overcome. Mm-hmm. It's just such good acting, and yeah, put everyone up there for nominations easily. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it really a ensemble film because it's really those three. And then there's bit players outside of that. Right, like Jesse Plemons, the FBI yeah. agent. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't really care for his performance here. It's very much like, yeah, this is what you expected when you're playing an FBI agent kind of thing. He does have some inner turmoil, turmoil scenes, the, but not a whole lot. The Martin Sheen stuff is a little strange, yeah. <laughs> I will say. Um, uh, yeah, President Bartlett. Is I get you? why you need. <laughs> I get why you need Hoover in this film, like for context. But the way they do it is very strange. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I don't know. I think what I'm saying is that there's a lot of weird choices in this movie that I think maybe have the potential to distract from how good the core of it is. Um. I think there's something so good here that maybe stuff on the edges of it that doesn't belong like is potentially distracting. Maybe it's just distracting for you. <laughs> maybe. Because I wasn't distracted at all. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, I say this is def- a, def- a definite recommend um, um, if you have the HBO first Max. home run that HBO Max has yeah. had. Yeah. And you're right. I think you're going to see this in award season. I would not go as far to say this is your front runner um, for at least a Bex picture conversation. I know some people probably will say that. I am not ready to make that call. I don't think it's that strong. Uh, I believe Mank may have a better because old Hollywood loves Hollywood. Yeah, that's true. But I watched 10 minutes of that thing and could not 
get myself to care. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we've even talked about that on this podcast, but I tried. I tried to watch Mank. All right. Well, I have to watch that. So. I hated how that movie was written in its first ten minutes. I was just like, I do not want to listen to this dialogue anymore. <laughs> so, your mileage may vary, but yeah, I do well, not think it's a front runner. But I definitely think this is your front runner for for supporting actor in a landslide. I think that Kaluuya's performance is going to be one of those that we're going to be talking about for a while. Masterclass in acting. Yeah, definitely. Anyway. Anything else to say about Judas and the Black Messiah before we move on? Nope. Just go watch it. Go watch it. Go if you have HBO it. Max, don't go to a movie theater unless it's a drive-in. But if you have HBO Max, check it out. Right. That's my recommendation. And if you still have HBO Max from Wonder Woman, yes. You this should because it's like a six-month deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if that's it for movies, we can safely move on to television. And we always start the television section with the sports corner sports yeah so we're kind of in the post super bowl doldrums but sports are still happening first up in the world of tennis novak djokovic devote djokovic you always do this djokovic oh my gosh i always pronounce the d yep <laughs> djokovic djokovic i just don't like saying that djokovic yeah i don't like saying Djokovic. It sounds right. like something else. Um, their career record in the four tennis majors is now 300 to 45. You heard me right. 300 wins, 45 losses, making him the only man other than Roger Federer, who has a record of 362 to 59, to compile 300 wins. Uh, granted that to win a tournament, you need 10 wins. Yeah. So that's a lot of tournaments. Yeah. Turns out like eight to ten wins, roughly, yeah. uh, for the match, and yeah, three hundred. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of games. People have, have done that, so congratulations. That's a whole lot of love. Um, that's you a tennis joke. Love, yes. That's a tennis joke. In other sports, uh, you mentioned that it was Daytona weekend, and so we was. have a winner, folks. Michael McDowell, not that one. One Daytona after 25 cars wrecked out. Yes. And this Michael McDowell. Um, so there's a wreck at 15 laps in and it caused a four hour delay. Oof. I mean, it wasn't that bad. There was some rain immediately after it. But from, <laughs> if you're watching, from the time the wreck happened, nobody raced a single lap until four hours later. Oh, man. That's rough. Uh, and then Michael McDowell actually pushed the car. He was in third place going into the last lap around the final turn. Pushed the car in front of him to push into the car in first place. Oh. Or had them both spin out in opposite direction and peel wow. out for him to go right through to the victory. That's, uh, now that's pod racing. Now that's pod racing. <laughs> also, because it was brought up several times constantly. Okay. Uh, this was the 20th anniversary of Dale Earnhardt Sr. crashing and then dying at Daytona. Oh, yeah. That happened 20 years ago. Yikes. But there is some good news. Since that happened, every, uh, every single NASCAR race, including the 25 wrecks that we've had in Daytona today or on Sunday, zero deaths. 
since that happened 20 years ago. Wow, that's great. NASCAR has stepped up its safety since then. And you know, NASCAR, there's wrecks at every single turn, possibly. And even like the highlights of wrecks look terrible and cars bursting into flames. Zero deaths in 20 years. Yeah, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when something that horrific happens, you have to do something. Yes. And so I'm glad that they, they did it and have remained effective. Yep, it just shows rules and regulations matter. They do. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't drag Texas right now. They're, yeah. I would we say should... drag them through the mud, but it's currently no. covered in snow. Yeah, no. We should, we should, yeah, mention real quick for all the people in Texas and elsewhere who are affected by the horrible winter storms happening right now. We hope you stay safe and warm. Yes. Um, because your government is dropping the ball on helping you. So, yes, uh, stay safe, everybody. Anyway. Yes, yeah, stay warm. Go find warmth. Um, this may not be over yet. If you have a generator, don't use it indoors. Uh, you make sure your generator is used outside, at least 20 feet away from your home. It could cause um, vapors that you cannot even smell that could kill you in minutes if used in a garage. So just keep that in mind, people. Anyway, <laughs> on to, to lighter, onto some lighter <laughs> fare and some other sports. So Sorry if you want to get that. away from the winter. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, Spring training is almost around the corner for baseball. Pitchers and catchers are reporting right now. So get ready. It is almost upon us. The season that we've all been waiting for, at least in this household. Um, I have <laughs> I have a, a statement, I think, that was made um, um, earlier this week by, by a friend of the show and roommate um, that that uh, hockey season is might as well be done and baseball season is the real thing we're excited for yes having uh, done fantasy basketball i can say i'm pretty burnt out of watching basketball <laughs> there's a lot of basketball especially since there was like what like a two-month break or something like that yes and we've got to hit the all-star break for nba right. that being said nba all-star voting is still happening yeah. so get your votes in but yeah, we haven't hit that break yet for the All-Star break. So, so lots yeah. of basketball. <laughs> Life's almost at the end of the tunnel for those, but we have baseball to look forward to after that. Yes. But for uh, now. For Cactus and Grapefruit Leagues, yes. uh, as you said, pitchers and catchers report today. All other players report next week. Cool. And then games will start in two weeks, yep. uh, which would be March. Looking forward to March for all of that fun. All right. Anything else in sports before we can move on to television news? Um, Hockey is still happening. The Olympics are trying to get the 2022 Mm. Winter Olympics canceled out of China (laughs) for the um, genocide that is currently going on. Yeah, not great. But yeah, that's about it's maybe a can of worms we do not have time to get into, no. but yes, we may decide the fate of those Olympics as well, so right? And it might Tokyo's, be a while but until Tokyo's we have still another Olympics. forward with the 2021 Olympics, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right, anything else? Sports last call before we move on. Nope, okay, let's move on into television news then. We have a couple stories here about casting or potential recasting. Uh, 
First up in casting news is HBO's The Last of Us, which, of course, an adaptation from the video game of the same name. We knew that this was happening with uh, the game director, Neil Druckmann, helping with the script. But now we know some other details about the series. Yeah. They've set their talent. Some key players have finally been announced. Yes. Craig Mazin, him of Chernobyl fame, is penning the script with Neil Druckmann. And Russian filmmaker Kantemir Balagov, who... uh, Yes, directed something called Beanpole. I'm not familiar. Sundance favorite Beanpole. Got it. Has been tapped to direct the pilot. As for the cast, Bella Ramsey of Game of Thrones will play Ellie and Pedro Pascal, uh, which you have here from Wonder Woman 1984. I think most people will now know him from The Mandalorian. But he was Um, also in Game of Thrones. Yes. Will be your Joel. Um, I guess it's okay casting. I think that they're fine choices. Uh, there were rumors early on that yes. Mahershala Ali was in talks to play the, the titular character. That would have been a very interesting take on Joel. Um, mm-hmm. But I could understand why at the last minute they were like, eh, let's just do it this way. And Pedro Pascal is a name that you get people's eyeballs on your project for right now. So I don't blame HBO for going with what works. Yep. Um, but I still don't know if this is something that I want to see or want to relive. Because if anybody uh, listening to this has played the opening uh, uh, few like few minutes of The Last of Us One, it's uh, that story real starts out real rough, doesn't it? And I don't know if I'm ready for that again. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to start out that way. If you're, that's yeah. the flashback you get throughout the first episode. I wonder. I don't know what they're going to... Again, just like the Borderlands adaptation, we're not sure if this is going to be a retelling of the first game. Mm-hmm. We don't know if it's going to be before, after, during, any of that. Um, so, I don't know. No, Ready That's for cool some guitars out. lessons. <laughs> I'm always ready for some acoustic guitar. Um, so, no date on its premiere, though, but uh, or if it will just be on HBO Max, my money would be this is probably on HBO proper and HBO Max, um, seeing as they've got the, the names that, behind it. I think this will premiere next year along with House of Dragons mm. um, as a way sense. to get people to stay on HBO. On HBO. This will be their every six months reminder hey, so keep your subscription, don't cancel yet. Right. Much like uh, Disney Plus is currently doing with. This entire year of Marvel, yeah, as yeah, every exactly. week is currently slated for something new Marvel to be released. By the <laughs> way, I am counting the freaking days till WandaVision is done because I just so badly want to talk. We about cannot it. talk about WandaVision. Cannot talk about WandaVision. until it is completed. But the structure this of this podcast our, does not allow us. This is our reminder to tell people: <laughs> yes. if you haven't been watching WandaVision, should... because the first two episodes kind of irked you the wrong way you should still be watching one <laughs> yeah that thing has gone some places and it will continue it looks like going some places i'm loving all the tv wow. references wow yeah oh man we cannot talk about it we have to wait till it's over but okay uh, it's currently on. just just for people to know it's currently underlined in our future notes as possible show of the year. It might be. Uh, I don't blame it's you. I didn't know that. Wary. I don't blame you. Like, I didn't know that you had done that, but I'm right there with you, man. It does some stuff that we need to talk about. Oh, yeah, no, I have a separate talk of where I keep all our news. 
Yeah. Um, so when we look back, like, oh yeah, that happened. And then a separate, separate little subsection for all the thoughts that we talk about. And yeah. I kind of go, as we go, like highlight and underline, like, oh, this was really good. This is really good. Because sometimes you might forget by the time you get to the end of the year. Yeah. This has been like double, high, double underlined, triple highlighted. Yeah. No, we'll, yeah. we'll have that conversation in a few weeks. But for now, let's talk about another Disney Plus uh, show and some decisions that have been, had been made about its uh, cast. Because this was the television story of the week, bar none. So technically, this happened like right after, like yeah. while we were recording we last week's episode, but yeah. we couldn't get to it because we were literally recording as the news was happening at five o'clock. Yes. Cast member of The Mandalorian, Gina Carano, was fired from The Mandalorian following a recent controversial post on Instagram suggesting that being a Republican in the U.S. is similar to being Jewish in Nazi Germany, unquote. Oh! That is not me saying that. That is Gina Carano's words. Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm, and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Nevertheless, though this is a quote, I guess, from Lucasfilm, nonetheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities were abhorrent and unacceptable. So she's been dropped completely from the Mandalorian, and it seems like she will be recast, according to newer information that kind of came out. Alongside her exit from the series, she was also dropped by her talent agency, UTA, due to the offensive nature of her comments. Hasbro has also weighed in on the discontinuation of the Cara Dune character and says that there are no current plans to create more action figures featuring her likeness. She has since taken up a starring role in Ben Shapiro's upcoming film. Yeah, always a great turn in your career when you end up working with Ben Shapiro, huh? Um, for the Daily Wire. About that. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> so Jesus Christ, what a change of, of pace in that one. Yeah, uh, this blew up. Um, and So uh, this yeah. wasn't her first offense, as people have pointed out, that no. back when she first appeared in season one of The Mandalorian, following its conclusion that people had dredged up some stuff from her social media posts, as the internet does when a new darling comes along and people want to knock him down. It's okay, what have you done in the past? And yeah, she said some stuff that very right-leaning stuff but nothing that offensive so she did come out and yeah. say that she would work on it even um pedro pascal and uh creator uh john Lipton. i am fumbling over my we'll words there. here we'll get there <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get there eventually <laughs> <laughs> um one real quick thing uh, yeah. before uh, that I will say about um, her statement is that this actually is not, been, she's not the first person to say this exact sentence. Fun fact, you know what other uh, notable right-leaning celebrity has said that sentence before in a, uh, I believe, a talk show format? Who? Uh, Home Improvement's own Tim Allen. Hmm. I believe he said this a while ago, actually. Uh, so the fact that it's kind of resurfaced is kind of strange, but... Yeah, uh, seems like a popular uh, thought process among the conservative um, um, in conservatives in Hollywood, uh, which is worrying, if you ask me. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Pedro Pascal and John Favreau kind of 
came to her defense when these initial comments came out at the end of season one, saying that this is not who she is anymore. She will change and kind of basically put her on a tight leash saying, people are on watch with you. Yeah. Please keep what you say if you want to keep your job. And this and was, kind of bad for yeah. her for her to appear in season two, which she had an even bigger role. And mm-hmm. as the uh, Disney press conference went on at the end of 2020, kind of may have hinted at her being in a starring vehicle for her own mm-hmm. show of Knights of the New Republic. So which brings up a good point. Um, you, you, you are a viewer of The Mandalorian. Do you think that this will put a potential wrench in some of the storytelling that they were doing this season? With her? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like her absence, will that, will that make an impact large enough to care about on the series moving forward? No, because they brought in some stronger characters since okay. then. I mean, I didn't think so, but I wanted to ask to make sure because my understanding about that show is even though it does have some serialized elements, it's mostly compartmentalized. Yeah, there are serialized uh, like two, three stories, mm-hmm. like episodes that connect to each other. But to go from like the first episode to the last episode, it is a full journey that yeah. involves you meeting several different characters, several different people. So missing her out of this, not that big of a deal, even though she did form a friendship with the Mandalorian, like yeah, the but great bounty hunter friendship. It's very easily to easily like, like, oh, I wonder what her she's doing. Well, I guess I'm not talking to her anytime soon. Yep. Or like I said, since news did or, come out, I they are out planning on never got back. Yeah, exactly. She went out to get space cigarettes and never saw her again. Uh, but no, like I said though uh, earlier, is that it does seem like there is a strongly supported rumor that they will be recasting the role, so that could keep the character in the universe. Mm, yeah, I, I could see recasting. Mm. Then you have to like kind of explain it away with a, yeah. oh, she was involved in a deep crash, and this is how yeah. we were able to. Um, mass effect reconstruct your face or, for a or no I, I got one for, i got one for you it's like oh how come she always wears a helmet now that's weird right like she didn't used to always wear a helmet now she always wears a helmet no because you're already doing that with the mandalorian you can't do that, <laughs> know, that was kind of a joke um anyway so yeah i don't know um unfortunate for the the cast and crew who didn't have anything to do with this but uh but man, yeah, you can't get away with making a comparison like that and think that everything's going to be cool, um, is I think the, the lesson here. And I hope she learned something from this experience. Yeah, you shouldn't compare your religious ideals to <laughs> literal people's heritage. I think we should just straight up be even more uh, more clear about this, more direct don't compare anything to the Holocaust. Just period. Just this is a good way to live your life, I think, is a g- good general rule, I think, is just never do that. Never do that. Just don't do that. It's it's always bad. It's always also, bad. Just don't. Don't deny the Holocaust either. That too. That too. It's also good advice. Good life advice here from the Media Pro Podcast. All right. We're not a history podcast, but they happen. <laughs> But today we definitely feel like one because let's pivot into a story that's equally as dark uh, because we have an unprecedented third television story that you snuck in here. Um, not unprecedented, I'm sure. Hey, you, you're going to sneak in a different story as well. We used to do later. four. Yeah, we used to do four stories each back in the day. 
Oh yeah. Yet our podcasts are still two hours long. That's because we have conversations like this. We could talk more about that yeah. rather than kind of like pushing it aside as we barrel through four stories. No, I'm glad. In fact, I wish there was a version of this podcast where we could spend even more time. Um, but then was the breaks. Um, anyway, um, then's the time cuts of people's attention between. Yeah. Hours. But yeah, that, that's that would involve us having to record on like Saturdays, which I'm not sure either of us want to do. No, but that does bring up the <laughs> point that we will be needing to record on Saturdays as March Madness is coming up. <laughs> we'll have that conversation after after uh, podcast. We'll yes. get there anyway. <laughs> I'm dropping that now. Dropping that now. March is going to be mad for all sorts of reasons. I'm oh, sure. Yeah. All right, our second story, which also deals with some hmm, uh, not so great material takes us to The Bachelor, which is ongoing. Which is also owned by ABC. Yes. Or Disney on ABC. Disney's having a week here. So Chris Harrison, will be uh, host of The Bachelor, will be stepping aside, he says, for an unspecified period of time and will not appear on the After the Final Rose Live special, and af- which pl- takes place after the show's season finale. Mm-hmm. In an interview, Chris Harrison and former Bachelorette Rachel Lindsay were discussing photos that recently emerged of Rachel Kirkconnell, the current frontrunner of the season's The Bachelor. The photos for which Kirkconnell has come under scrutiny showed the 24-year-old attending an antebellum plantation-themed fraternity formal. Yikes. Uh, in 2018. The photos drew a reaction on social media due to the painful and racist history of the South before the Civil War, as you might imagine. Chris Harrison defended Kirkconnell's reputation, saying the photos were taken a long time ago. He also spoke out against cancel culture because, of course, he did. All right, so let's unpack kind of what's going on here. So this is kind of a dual a dual story because you also have you have the story about this uh, competitor on The Bachelor. Uh, these photos, yes, uh, that's not great. Um, obviously, there is a repeated unfortunate history of the South using the iconic, like the iconography of the either the Civil War era or the post Civil War era, the antebellum era, era in cultural events. And so, this is just photo evidence that she happened to be involved in a school that themed their event based on this. Yeah. In 2018? Yes. Probably too late to do this. Uh, at all, it's probably a good rule as well to never do this. But that being said, especially not, you know, within the last few years. Like, just do a regular-ass theme, like, under the sea. Like, I don't know. There's so many themes that you could possibly do for events like this. It's not you know, necessary to dredge up these racially charged historical events and eras for your school events. So yeah, not great. And I get why this would have a reaction on social media. Now, the second prong here is Chris Harrison. And that's a little harder to defend, right? Well, because, that's the indefensible right there. Is Chris yeah, that's Harrison. the indefensible part because he's not, you know, doing what he should have said and just been like, I'm not involved. Instead, he basically threw himself in front of the social media bus and immediately was like, oh, no, it's like, like, she's still, she's not that person. She's, you know, this, this, she's still a great girl and all this stuff. And also, I think we're too quick to judge people based on past things. It's like, dude, you didn't have, you didn't have to do any of this. Did you listen to the uh, clip? 
No, but is that basically what happened? That's basically what happened. <laughs> See, that's the thing, is that the only reason why I know this is because this has happened so many times at this point. Is that these people who should know better, who don't have to do this to themselves, to their careers, will put themselves in the line of fire for no reason and say these dumb opinions. And yes, as you guys probably have established at this point, if you guys listen to this podcast, Obviously, the cancel culture discussion is a stupid discussion. What it really means is people are being held accountable for the stupid things that they've done or been involved with. And you know what? It's probably a net positive. We're probably getting to a point where if you're open about these things, like, and you want to apologize, then apologize. Don't double down on your bad behavior. Chris Harrison here had the choice where he could have been like, eh, you know what? Like, I'm not involved with this. I'm just the host. But the fact that he chose to put himself in this situation makes you have a lot of questions about Chris Harrison that didn't you didn't have before. Right. Yeah. It's not cancel culture. It's accountability culture. Yeah. It's taking accountability for their actions, however bad they may be, because mm-hmm. as kids, we do dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Social media, internet is permanent. We kind of know that from literally living it. So, yeah, it reminds me of the story that we did about the um, about um, James Gunn about the the tweets um, and how they were a decade ago, and that. But the the difference between that and something like this, and this comes up a lot because people often show the James Gunn example as, oh, but you guys said this about James Gunn when you're saying this about this other guy. And it's like, the difference is, is that James Gunn very quickly was like, uh, no, I'm not that person anymore. This is when I was young and stupid and I am trying my hardest to be a better person now, now and I've, I've transformed. Right. Um, those, he came out with a statement saying that yeah. he doesn't believe in those tweets anymore, that mm-hmm. he did it for the shock value. Right. That he's it, changed yeah. and he looks forward to being a better person. Yeah. That is very different activity than somebody who is very quick to be like defensive right. and be like, oh, no, no, like this is still good. Like I'm still like, I'm still not like. I think what I'm saying is that the, even though he didn't explicitly say, that he believes these statements or the or the situation or that he's supportive of it. And the fact that he didn't is telling. It says a lot about potentially about him that he was willing to put his career on the line for this. I don't know. You just keep seeing this stuff. You just keep seeing people do this in the public eye and it just makes me wonder what are you why? Why are you doing this? Huh. I'll take his job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess there's an opening for bachelor hosts. So, you uh, are cool with uh, being in a room with a lot of people who are all very uh, egotistical and okay with holding roses for a long period of time. Then, hey, uh, there's a job for you. I've been to a lot of weddings that do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys just said I've been to a wedding before. I think I qualify. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this also comes at the behest of the current Bachelor uh, being black. Yeah, and the, coincidentally. <laughs> and the 25 out of the 30 women being minorities mm-hmm. on the current season. So if you're ABC, this is not a good look. Right. 
any part of this is not a good look for for your season. Um, yeah, just a just a mess. Um, yeah. So I guess the lesson to take out here is that hey, if you're in the south and you're still having themed parties like this, maybe don't. Maybe stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Okay, that being said, real quick, um, I know yes. we skipped sports, but this will just like wrap up everything. Uh-huh. Um, Kyle Larson, who, as we all remember from last summer, said the N-word um, during yeah. iRacing and was basically kicked off of NASCAR. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of Daytona, in the lead-up, and then even during the rain delay that we played it, he did an interview titled Uncomfortable Conversations with the Black Person. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure about that title, though, <laughs> but I kind of went to, but when they said it, my first thought in my mind was, hmm, they must be talking about Kyle Larson, and then immediately just showed his face, Kyle yeah. Larson, and was like, we're doing this, we're addressing it head on, Wow, this is exactly what we need to do as Daytona and as mm-hmm. NASCAR to get people behind Kyle Larson back in NASCAR. Right. Did it work? Did, did it work? Yeah. It, it kind of felt like a faint apology. Yeah, but, as you would expect. As you would expect. But for a 10-minute segment of just what is apologizing, what he learned from his experience, mm-hmm. how he learned it, what he plans to do going forward, it did the, his job of trying to get people on the good side of Kyle Larson again. They made an effort. Like yes. The organization made an effort to do it. And the fact that he was game for it mm-hmm. is telling i guess that he's willing to work on an element of himself that's great yeah uh, and honestly 10 minutes is probably longer than a lot of people who say the stupid shit take you know to actually like think about their apology so right. hey i mean as the interview was probably longer but to get down to 10 minutes you kind of need like an hour worth of footage yeah. to do that I mean, if- yeah and and again i want to make clear like i'm very cognizant of the people that we are and what we are a lot of things but we are not black uh so yeah between this and our our conversation that we had about judas and the black messiah just always be we are we do realize that we're not maybe the best people to talk about these kind of things but we're trying (laughs) we're we're not the the all voice for it but as we said at the beginning these are our thoughts and opinions on these kind of things. And, and and like I said, one of the mission statements that we started this podcast with, even though it's been six years and we still haven't done anything about this, is to widen our, you know, our host pool eventually at some point to include other perspectives. And I'm still working on it. A pandemic kind of put a wrench in some of that. And so, yeah, that will be an eventual goal of this podcast, but we'll get there someday. Yes. Um, eventual <laughs> four-person panel here. Yeah, maybe. That was the original idea. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to just be us two forever. Uh, I mean, we've kept it going, so. <laughs> yeah, somehow. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, right. uh, let's talk about some TV. On that note, let's do what we do best and talk about cancellations and renewals. No, we have thoughts. Oh, we do have thoughts before we get there. <laughs> Never mind, I jumped the gun. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking thoughts after cancellations and renewals. It's weird because in the show doc, it's thoughts before cancellations. Yeah, which I think is your mistake. <laughs> just say no i don't think it is actually i think you're right um we do have to talk about thoughts we do have some thoughts we watched television this week all right so we watched two of these shows then i watched the cbs shows you want to talk about the cbs stuff shows before we jump out of the way first yeah yeah because they are very procedural 
Yes, procedurals. That's why I did not watch them. (laughs) So, uh, last week, no, scratch that, two weeks ago, no, wait, shit. No, last weekend, yeah, it was just last weekend. weekend. It is Wednesday. Yes, the 7th. It's felt like it's been a week, right? Yes. So after the seventh, after the Super Bowl was the premiere of the Equalizer. Yes, Queen Latifah is that the Equalizer after the Super Bowl because, yeah, that's what I do. Um, but we didn't talk about it last week because no. that initial pilot episode was all set up <laughs> of Queen Latifah's character, um, basically being retired. From the CIA and doesn't know what to do with her life anymore. So having the special set of skills decides to, after an unfortunate event, set up a message board for people who can't help themselves or feel like they can't go to the police or turn to the police that right. she will help them in any way that she can. She will help equalize the situation, Ha-ha. if you will. Yes, an equalizer. And that's why I kind of waited for episode two to come out to see how they would work. Yeah. Um, it works kind of fine. Um, if you like <laughs> Scorpion, or sorry, backslash Scorpion. Yeah, back, colon, backslash, backslash, Scorpion. Uh, no, you're thinking that colon, backslash, backslash, hack, dot, do. <laughs> I, think just I don't know how Scorpion. they stylized it, but it was weird. Anyways, Scorpion. No, no, it's like the carrot brackets. That's what you're thinking yeah. of. Scorpion. 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 <laughs> Stupid! It's just but for us. No one's gonna understand that. Yeah, you will if you Google "wet pet San Pablo." <laughs> anyway, um, so it's kind of the same thing where it's a team of three, but then eventually five mm-hmm. uh, inside FBI informant, inside a CIA person, former CIA person, one hacker, one sniper slash shooter slash weapons expert all working together to help people who can't help themselves. Very proceduralized. You'll get your episode fixed very quickly. I could easily see this thing going for several years because it has a pretty good cast. I like everyone in this cast. Even Queen Latifah, who I didn't quite peg for a former CIA agent, but... Sure, why not? Sure, why not? Um, Some good editing, some good directing can do that for some good actors, and yeah, she's a good actor. <laughs> yeah, Queen Latifah, fresh off of being the narrator in Sayonara Wild Hearts. <laughs> yes, where she <laughs> um, voice acted. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, um, um, yeah, the, I like Queen Latifah. I almost watched this, but then I was like, do I actually want to watch this show? And I was like, no, probably not. So it doesn't necessarily do anything bad Yeah, like, to jump the shark quite It's just yet. one of those. It's just one of those yeah. where you know what to expect, but... It's a good one of those where you know what to expect. I feel like we're going to have that uh, have that same kind of thing to say about some other shows we'll talk about in a little bit too. Because uh, this is very seems like a very uh, strong week of it's one of those, but it's a good one of those. Yeah. So if you like Queen Latifah or you like the kind of like FBI, CIA, Scorpion, extra mm-hmm. team hack um, cobbled together, then yeah, the Equalizer is kind of for you. Um, I kind of want to like equal equate it to leverage when that show was on TNT. Sure. But leverage was more fun. This is a bit more serious. <laughs> okay. 
Take which is it. weird because you would think that with Queen Latifah, you would this would be the fun one, but I guess yeah, not. It's not 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 quite because leverage was like all fun, all heist, no breaks. It was the kind that, of of those procedurals that you make for cable, which is a little bit lighter, right? Uh, and this one seems a little bit more serious tone. Yeah. So yeah, um, okay. I would. Equalizer. Break it up there, yeah. Good, good suggestion for the equalizer. I think it had a good lead in with the Super Bowl, and it'll keep people watching it. Expect this to be renewed. Um, I'll say probably six, eight years. Wow. Okay, that's bold. Uh, bold it is prediction. Bold, but I also assume CBS won't have a whole lot of other shows down their <laughs> pipeline. They'll need it. Yeah, they'll need it. Um, they'll need it for a little bit. Something so yes, reliable. this does kind of fall into that same reboot that they've been doing with like. Hawaii Five O, MacGyver, yeah, those yeah. exact same things. So. This is what you call a base hit and not a, a not a home run, is what it sounds like. Yeah, but you you're going to get years out of, out yeah. of television out of this. Exactly. Much like you do with it's not shows. about it's not about the instant score. It's about building to building. This, this is to not something. an award show type yeah. show. This is you're going to watch CBS because this is a good program to watch, yeah. and you're not all reliable. Be That's good. Yep. That's good. Also, hey, keep Queen Latifah getting a paycheck. Yep. Love to see it. But you also watch something else. Okay. <laughs> Unless I, I'm guessing you enjoyed this one slightly less. Slightly less. So <laughs> we had Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. We had Red Dragon. Yeah, those things exist. So those are some <laughs> solid films. We had Hannibal on NBC. Sure. Which was the prequel to those films. Yeah. But what are we yeah. missing? But we're missing to the after effect, though. Okay. What happened after Silence of the Lambs? What what happened to Clarice after that? How would would she like thrust into like the spotlight because she captured the killer? She's like famous now, right? Sure. Well, let's explore that, shall we? In the new <laughs> CBS show Clarice. Okay. And how solving that kind of crime, being a part of it, of Buffalo Bill and serial killers kind of might mess with your brain a little bit you don't say kind of like some post-traumatic syndrome yeah like it might have lasting effects or something um the fbi might not want you back on the case so quickly you wouldn't think or would they because they need a high profile name in front of it as the face even though you don't want to be the face oh twist okay yeah so that's so the setup season, for this? So that's the setup. This will be a season-long mystery. So you should say this is this is called Clarice. Yeah. Well, oh, did. where's this airing? Clarice on CBS. CBS. So this will be a season-long type thing where you're not going to get a monster of the week solved case. Mm-hmm. Even though it kind of hints at that initially. But rather that there's a bigger case going on. Because you're dealing with, in the first episode, a copycat. And someone who's basically telling them what to do rather than this is the killer. Quick establishing question. Is this explicitly a spinoff of Hannibal of that universe? Or is this unrelated to Hannibal, but related to the film universe? Or seems like it's more related to the film universe than it is to Hannibal on NBC. Got it. Got it. Uh, The lead character they have does a really great Jodie Foster impression. (laughs) I guess you gotta, if you're going to do it. Yeah. And I'd say that's pretty much what it's got going for it. Um, Cal Penn's in it. It's 
other FBI agent. Okay. Uh, it's fine for now. It's only had one episode, but it's seems like it can get dark. So if you missed your oh, yeah. Hannibal fix on NBC, <laughs> you might find it here in Clarice. Is it as violent? It can be. Okay. I mean, you're dealing a lot more with blood. Well, yeah. Or, or like dead bodies than you right, are right, with right. like I guess action. gory is probably the better term than violent. Huh? Or yeah. Yeah. Because I know that was one of the things people liked. If you want liked the equalizer so is violence. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, that's Clarice why I, the gore. every time somebody would tell me something about Hannibal, it was always about like, oh, and this super messed up thing happened. And I was like, oh, right. don't want to watch that show. <laughs> but I guess that's what people like yeah. potentially about this too. Uh, yeah, not my cup of tea. I'm yeah. not going to follow this one, but no, it's definitely for people. I mean, it depends how long they can keep it going with the FBI agent, Clarice. Yeah, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Fair enough. So this is a maybe a hesitant, uh, yeah, that's a not hesitant. a recommend. Okay. You have one more thing to talk about before we get to the two that we both watched. Oh, I could say that for the end, though, because it's real quick. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then let's dive in, then, to the two that we've uh, both watched here on NBC this week. Yeah, because NBC also had premiere TV. Thank, thank you for your... Because this was supposed to all be fall TV until pandemic happened. Yeah. And now we're back to new TV. And so, for those of you yes. on YouTube, yes, I am throwing these weird quotes all the way <laughs> around. Yeah. Um, because... Yeah. It's like stuff that was in the can or quickly turned around. Yeah, uh, but honestly, knowing all of that and given the premises of both of these shows, better than you'd imagine they would be in both cases. I don't know if that's where you landed on this, but that's kind of where I landed on these. Uh, So which one do we start with? Uh, Let's start in the order that they premiered in with Young Rock taking the 8 o'clock slot. Yeah. Um, so as the name kind of implies, uh, and, and as I'm the sure all the kind of implied everywhere right, that you saw marketing, marketing. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is basically, hey, what if The Rock, um, in some far flung uh, future that may actually be too far flung for when it actually will happen in real life, is running for president, and he's uh, taking an interview and he's explaining things about his life to give context for like the person he used to be when he was younger. And thus, Young Rock. It's a no holds barred, anything goes type of interview where yeah, anything goes, and he gets into some details. So, so that's the framing device. But beyond the framing device, it seems like what they actually want to do here is, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we just wrote a bunch of sketches about the Rock growing up? Because <laughs> that's what this show actually is. I think if you. I see why you need the framing device because it allows them to jump forward and back in time at will and tell different stories instead of them being locked to this is a show explicitly about him as a kid, like a everybody hates Chris kind of show, or explicitly this is a show about a teenage high school football playing rock. And so I get why you have to have that framing device so that way you're allowed to tell all of those stories. But you don't really need a framing device for this. But I see, again, I see why they did it. And what I'm saying is I don't think it benefits from it, but I get why it exists. So do you remember the CBS show starring Bobby Moynihan? (laughs) 
Me, myself, and I. Yeah, vaguely. I never actually watched it, but... We talked about it on this podcast. Yeah, we talked about it on this podcast. <laughs> you did not have good things to say about it. I did not have good things to say about it. Nor did anybody. Because uh, it only lasted a season. If it even made it to the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, but this is very similar to that, but done in an NBC-style, fun, comedic way. Yeah. Where yeah. you take the you take the initial part of the kid of young rock when he's a kid and given a lesson from his dad. Fast right. forward to him in high school trying to apply said lesson and maybe not getting the whole gist of it. Only to be summarized into his college age of him making it work for him and understanding what it is that his dad was trying to tell him all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least that's the premise for the first episode. Not sure if they're going to keep that premise going. No, but I don't think so. It's definitely a good framing device of here's the kid learning it. Here mm-hmm. he is trying to apply it. And then here he is trying to master it. Yeah, it's really smart to do it this way because... It creates, like, it's basically as long as it's something that The Rock has either told you, has said at some point, or told the writers or the creative team or whatever, as long as it's something that's vaguely based in some sort of touchstone of his life, mm-hmm. you will have ideas for years, potentially. Like, the, only, the limit is literally to the, like, limit of Rock's <laughs> own memory at a certain point. And so it's actually kind of a smart idea for a show. Um does everything work? Maybe not. Like, I think that some of the moving back and forth, you lose kind of some of that continuity, potentially. I think having basically zero overarching story, potentially, besides what we know about what The Rock eventually does with his career, also maybe doesn't make for the most watchable show in the world. But it's fun. It's got that going for it. And I think some of the joke writing was is genuinely good. I think there there was um, at least one laugh out loud for, moment for me, which is definitely more than I got watching uh, Call Me Cat a couple of weeks ago. Right. So it's got that going for it. Um, so I think there's enough cute stuff that they can do with the premise. And I think there's a, enough talent, it seems like, in the writing staff where they were able, able to make even a pilot episode for this thing entertaining. So I think there's actually some potential promise here. It's a gimmicky show, but it's a gimmicky show that might work. And it does a good job in the pilot of getting you, I mean, if The Rock wasn't already like so popular, it does a good job of getting you like into the show, even if you, for some reason or another, have never heard of The Rock. (laughs) (laughs) If you've been living under a, I don't know, a boulder, per se. If you're living in a cave, box (laughs) of scraps. Um. I think it does a good job of framing it. Like, if someone was, like, trying to unceremoniously run for president and give me a detail of their life, (laughs) that, yeah. Which is something nobody would actually do, is the thing. That's the other thing, is that this premise doesn't actually make sense when you think about it, because this would never happen. But... (laughs) Uh, Question, though. I'm not sure sure if you know this off the top of your head or not. Does he have siblings? I don't actually know if that because is because it is framed him as it's an framed only him child. as an only child, which I don't know if that is actually factual or not. You'd have to look that up. I don't know enough about The Rock's actual life to know. Um, and there is actually something I noticed during the credits that's kind of tucked away at the very end that does make sure to say 
hey, even though this is based on a real person's life, they are taking fictitious liber- liberties, which you might imagine that they would. But the fact that The Rock is in this thing and is a producer on this thing, they're not going to stray so far away that it's going to go into ludicrous territory. So I don't think they're going to go as far as to remove entire members of his family. I'm going to guess that they probably aren't going to do that, but I feel like they are having some fun with with a lot of elements of his of his past. So, okay, so he does have an elder half brother from his mm. father's first marriage, but he may have been out of. The, but that see, that would be somebody that wouldn't be in his day to day life. So that makes right. sense. And, and hey, his elder sister. And hey, just like I the said, first marriage as well. So this like is I technically. Said, though, his second marriage. Everything, even this, is fodder for future episodes. So I think that's the thing that's actually great about this gimmick. Yes, it's a gimmick, but the cool thing is that it's a gimmick that keeps on giving potentially. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people may have tuned in to see like the old wrestler gimmicky come back. Right, you get that, which you can get in future episodes. And in fact, they they, they know that that's the reason why you're a lot of people are watching because they do that tease at the end which is like here's what you want we're going to give you more of it right which is hey remember these classic wrestlers from classic wrestling back when people liked wrestling <laughs> well here what here's mean, more of what them. Mean back when it's still liked yeah <laughs> hmm. i don't know um so yeah i think it's it's got some promise for a show that i was about to write off before i watched um i was actually kind of shocked with how enjoyable it is well i'm glad you watched it because i was gonna try and sell it on you because i like it you don't have to is the good news i might stick around with it so we'll see okay um so yeah it's media boat watch it yeah it's a new media boat watch it also i'll hedge hedge right now in my opinion at least a media boat watch it is the other uh nbc premiere this week of keenan from keenan thompson his return to scripted television. They did it. Uh, they did the thing return? that they probably should have done a long time ago, which is they gave Keenan his own show, which like, dude, come on. The man's been the glue of your Saturday Night Live cast for over a decade now. Like, at least give him a show. And it took him this long to do it. Yep, and they named it after himself. Yes, the cla- a classic move. <laughs> Uh, which I, you know what, I think he deserves it. I think he does. He's that. He's that upper echelon. I think at this point that mm-hmm. he deserves the self-titled sitcom. I mean, if they did it for John Mulaney, then they can do it to Keenan. <laughs> hey, remember that? Hey, we try not to. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure John Mulaney also does. Anyway, uh, hey, remember Whitney? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but the good news is, is that unlike those shows, I think Keenan works. This takes the style of modern family, camera and aesthetic wise. Yeah. But eliminates all the excess interviews. I was going to ask you about this. So I was actually going to lead with the positive stuff and then kind of bring this up at the end, but you've already brought it up. So I might as well Sorry. talk about it now. <laughs> That's okay. Because, yes, you're right. It is kind of distracting how this thing is shot. It's like they. It's a half measure where it's not quite a multicam show because it's not a multicam show, mm-hmm. or at least actually it might be, but they try to obfuscate the fact that it is. But it's also not in the style of a single cam. It's not so single cam that it feels like a office, a Parks and Rec, a 30 Rock. 
it's not or even a modern family in my opinion it's this weird halfway point where they switch enough where it feels like a multicam setup but they never close up it's always a medium shot mm-hmm. it's such a weird jarring take at first it was distracting for me when i first started watching i was like this is a weird thing so it almost like if it had a, and it doesn't have a, a laugh track which makes you think that right which is why i went with modern family because it doesn't have right. a laugh track but if it did though i feel like it would feel like a more like a multicam show but right. also if it did though i feel like you lose part of the reason why i think that this pilot works as well as it does is because it's written closer to a single cam show where it's paced is fast like it's a fast it's a faster pace show uh which means that if you did have that laugh track in there it would ruin the momentum of a lot of the jokes so it ends up being in this kind of weird uncanny valley between the two but after you get past it it's not as distracting as it is initially like i got to the point where i got over the hump and i was like i forgot thinking about it i think as soon as they went to the um the second set as soon as they went to the the television show set i stopped thinking about the format but it's very weird at first yeah i'm gonna have to need to watch more episodes of this to Mm -hmm. see if i like it or not because yeah that was very jarring for me because it did (laughs) feel like in the household it was multi-cam setup right and then it switched, and it's like, oh, we have an outside shot. Yes. We have a in, close-in uh, office shot. Even the outside shot, though, had the vibe of a multi-cam outside shot. Right. It's almost like maybe it was planned to be an, a, like a multi-cam show, but because but COVID. of COVID, they had to pull the, the ripcord and be like, all right, rewrite the script, put more jokes in, because we need filler, because there's no laugh track anymore. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's what happened. And then they were like, they told the camera people like, okay, move in closer. Let's get a little bit more intimate vibe here because we want to emulate something different now. Because if you zoom out, this is easily a multi-cam show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when you have COVID, you can't have a live studio (laughs) audience or a limited one. You have to make that call. Right. Well, production stuff aside, how do you feel about, about this as a pilot? I like the characters. <laughs> it's a pretty good show. Um, it does deal with the Disney death, though, of the mom not in the, the picture. Yeah, there's that. But I think that the way they present it and make it a character part mm-hmm. of him is actually kind of redeems some of that. Yes. And also having her still actually in the show in some format at the end of the episode also kind of makes me feel a little less weird about it. But you're right. It is. It is that. Yeah, but I mean, it is also a plot device to get mm-hmm. the grandpa into or the yeah. the the father, the ex father in law, I guess you could say. Yes, well, he's the grandpa to the kids. Yes, but he's not related to Keenan. He is the father of the de- deceased mother. Yes, but from the kids' perspective, he's grandpa. <laughs> yes, but you know what I mean. There's a reason why they don't call him that is because that's not who he is. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, and then you have brother, cousin, brother of Chris Red, coworker also. Coworker, uh, I assume he's his <laughs> assistant. Yeah, it's unclear exactly who he is yet. We'll probably get more of him in future episodes. Right. But yeah. But I'm happy to see Chris Red working. <laughs> uh, yeah, good, that. good, good for him to get a paycheck. I'm sure Keenan was like, "Hey, I'll help you out." Yeah. <laughs> Got you. He was like, I-, "I was you. You can be my Kel." <laughs> right. Yeah. No. He, he and he works in that kind of fashion. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, 
the most pilot there are okay there are moments where it gets really piloty um where they have to have you know very leading dialogue yes which is something actually i was surprised that young rock doesn't do as much but keenan definitely does is they need to remind you that it's a pilot with really like clumsy lines like hey it's just like this about about our dead mom at the beginning and stuff like that it's where it's very clear like oh this is a line written because this is a pilot right because we just established that mom is dead right or or i work here or why am i up at this hour there's the occasional moment where it's weird like that but ultimately i think it's it's charming enough where it gets away with it well like i said i might need a few more episodes because there are a lot of establishing lines but as you go on with the series a lot of that washes away because you become more familiar with the characters and the character interactions with each other yeah but, but, yeah, just, um, but just like Young Rock, I think the template here is almost, in a way, the opposite of Young Rock because it's not gimmicky at all. It's very traditional, but it feels modern by its writing style. And again, it had just enough laugh-out-loud moments for me where I was like, all right, okay, they've got a good good crew here, good writing, good writing so far, a good ensemble cast, as you mentioned. And it's just enough of a like a good concept that there is a lot of stories that they could do with a morning show host. Mm-hmm. So it's promising. Um, unlike the the Young Rock, where I'm on board already, I'll give this my patented three episodes. And sure, see how I, I get it. I'm actually, I feel actually maybe the opposite of you, where I'm I'm a little bit, I feel a little <laughs> bit more confident about Keenan than I do about Young Rock, but. Um, I definitely am going to continue watching and see what happens for sure. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, we're talking a lot here. Yeah. (laughs) I can't believe, yeah, we're already kind of already at an hour and a half and 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 halfway through. Yeah. Well, we we knew that this was gonna be our heavy thoughts half, the second half less so. So yes. That means Uh, it's time to move on to real quickly. Yes. Um Okay, if, you have one more show. I have one more show, but it's really fast and it's really okay. easy because it's fast foodie. Aha. What is fast foodies? So um, I was bored, or not bored. I didn't want to go to bed. So <laughs> <laughs> sure. Same. So I was saying, hey, what else is on TV? And I came across fast foodie. I was like, oh, wait, that's fast food. No, this is true TV. This isn't a cooking show. <laughs> or is it? Or is so, it? Fast Foodie is takes three chefs who are the host. They're chefs and they're hosts. Uh, they're restaurateurs. They own their own restaurant. Um, but it takes them and it pairs them with a celebrity who loves certain kind of food or okay. like famous food, uh, like a hot dog from Chicago or um, McDonald's uh, sausage egg McMuffin. Mm-hmm. Round one is to recreate it. Your best to recreate that exact food. Okay. Like as is, don't add anything to it. Round two is to take that food and elevate it into, as they call it, remix it, and change it to something that is not that, but has all the flavors and components of it. This is an existing format. Another show did this, but and I can't was- remember what it is. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. And then the celebrity, uh, the celebrity basically hands them the Chompion trophy. Yes, Chomp. Sure. Okay. 
um, for the week. And it's like, hey, you won this week's uh, fast foodie thing. And then that's it. It's very simple. It's very late night, low yeah. stakes yeah. affair. Um, check it out when your favorite celebrity is on. Because some of the foods they make is pretty good. Yeah, I feel like maybe this was a, maybe there was a YouTube channel doing something similar to this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this format the, the has existed. Is, yeah, the concept is not new. Right. This is existed. Yes, it's an existing format, but it's fun late night entertainment yeah. on a true TV. Fair now we can enough. Get to, now we can get into cancellations. And now we get into cancellations and renewals, our bridge to the second half of the show for y'all. And starting on the top of the pile here, Paramount Plus, the upcoming Paramount Plus, is bringing you a second season of Tuning Out the News. Was this a CBS All Access thing before? Uh, no. Wait, yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was okay. CBS All Access, but right. because it's all being rebranded to Paramount Plus. Right. It's Paramount they will Plus. be having the second season on there. Mm-hmm. And next up, the other shoe finally dropped on the thing that we knew was coming this whole time. Uh, NBC has said that the upcoming eighth season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine will be its last. They also confirmed that it will be a shorter order. A 10-episode season is all we're getting for season eight. I wonder if this was the producers, because we did talk about this last year during the pandemic and then during the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. That they that even the cast spoke out and said that they want to address it yeah. because they are police. <laughs> yeah, it is going to be wild to see what they ultimately do with these ten episodes. I honestly do not envy any of the writers because what do you do? What possibly do you do with these characters? The good news is they don't up. have. Yeah, the good news is you don't have a whole lot of. Uh, of uh, loose ends that were left after the last season. Um, right. They pretty much resolved a lot of storylines with having um, them get married and their the baby. Know, there's baby. So yeah, it's not like it's like there's a whole lot to do that's left. So they can literally do anything. And yep. I'm really interested to see what they have done. But yeah, we only get 10 episodes left. We'll find out then. Next up, Prime Amazon Prime is bringing uh, is it bringing an end to Truth Seekers canceled after one season. Ooh. Meanwhile, on CBS, a couple of their shows are returning. Bob Hart's Abishola, as you commented, why? <laughs> yeah, I was like, people are still watching this show. Number one, number two is getting a third season. I mean, it's it. That's what CBS does. Once they yeah. have a hit on their first season, they'll just keep making more of it because yep, it's familiar yep. territory you know i was talking I about base hits or, i was talking about base hits earlier like their network built on them mm-hmm. <laughs> next up the neighborhood also getting a fourth season on cbs and then lastly hbo max uh before i believe it even premieres has given a second season to gremlins the secret of the mogwai yes it has yet to premiere on hbo max but it gets a second season i didn't it. even realize they were doing a gremlins show well, now you know. <laughs> now I know. So be on the lookout for it. I will not. <laughs> Let's keep going. Oh, because now we get to talk yeah, about... Speaking of HBO Max, there is a show on there called The Bridge, which is a British show, which is a competition, one of those uh, competition series where they huh. try and create a bridge to a <laughs> cash money prize. 
So okay. that's also a show that's available. That's also a show. Well, there's all sorts of things happening on HBO Max. Yep. But now we move into deaths. Um, some weird ones this week, I guess is what I'll say. Uh, oof, a mix of emotions, I think, this week is, is an, a good way of putting it. First up, Leslie E. Robertson, age 92, a structural engineer, being of bridges, was uh, part of the team who built the World Trade Center, the Shanghai World Financial Center, and the Bank of China Tower. Those are three iconic buildings. Well, I guess now yeah. two iconic buildings. Yeah, definitely. Next up, a sad one. Age 38, Vincent Jackson, former NFL player for the San Diego Chargers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, this one rippled through the sports world. Yeah. Uh, suicide, I think, was ruled the death. Right, yeah, they ended up finding his body. Uh, yeah, yeah, real rough. Um, so yeah, condolences to his family. And then, uh, eh, a not so sad one. <laughs> your mileage may of, vary for a lot of people, but like, for a lot of people, but your mileage may vary. Rush Limbaugh, this happened today, age 70, Hall of Fame radio host. You know, he had a radio show for years, 30 years, something like that. Uh, some president gave him a presidential medal of freedom last year. Um, but, you know, mostly known for being kind of the spirit, like of kind of being ahead of his time, I guess, if you will, for being a conservative blowhard who basically espouses his opinions as maybe questionable as they are on millions of listeners um, and kind of started a trend with conservative speakers to do the same over the 30, de- or th- over the 30 years that followed. Um, and yeah, he's made quite an impact and a lot of people kind of, uh, tailored their, their political opinions based on the things that he said over the years. Some of these things, uh, involved his viewpoints on race, on LGBT, uh, people on feminism, on sexual consent, climate change, military intervention in the Middle East, you name it, any kind of, you know, conservative point of view that maybe got warped and stretched way beyond where it began originally some of that warping and stretching started right in Russia's mouth like i think it created a lot of what we now view as the modern conservative viewpoint he definitely had a huge hand in it because he was an extremely influential radio host yes and as with time's person of the year it's not necessarily the best person of the year it's the most influential person and rush limbaugh is anything short of an influential person in politics yeah this the seeds he sowed like eventually became the trump administration in a lot of ways it definitely eventually became stuff like the tea party movement or even now with like you, you could say a lot of things that kind of started had its roots in the stuff that rush and a lot of people adjacent to rush were saying at the time way back in even the early 90s this has an impact. Like you may think that some person with a radio show, you know, 30 years ago, like, sure, what does that actually matter today? In this case, yeah, you'd be surprised with how much of an influence you can have if you have a loyal group of listeners that follow you for that long. Well, we're a fifth of the way there. <laughs> Yeah, no, we're gonna, yeah, just wait, <laughs> wait in 30 years, you know, when, when uh, President uh, Dwayne Johnson is in office, we're gonna, 
people are going to look back at the media bill podcast and be like man they were so influential and ahead of their time hey if we do this for 30 years i hope we also end up in the hall of fame jesus christ i don't i don't know if i have that in me i've only lived 30 years already (laughs) all right let's see uh so yeah less said about that man the better let's move on into music and i toss this right over to you all right i'm going to start music with the billboard and we start the billboard with the hot 100 and still the hottest song right now is driver's license by olivia rodrigo yeah just jumping in her t-bird and having fun 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 till her daddy takes the car keys away (laughs) your description of what driver's license is about has changed every week and it's very it's very entertaining you realize how many songs there are about people and cars (laughs) i could do this all week long (laughs) (laughs) um what else is in our top five number two um as i mentioned last week there was a new song by cardi b called up well it premiered at number two up by yeah. Cardi B. Up. At three, getting that super bubble bump. Super bubble bump. Well, I see, I want to transition right to Blinding Lights, but I couldn't finish <laughs> Super Bowl yet. Uh, Blinding Lights by The Weekend at number three. Save Your Tears by The Weekend at number four. And rounding out your top five, Mood by Twin Frick Gilden featuring Ian Dior. Yep. Not a whole lot of movement, but a little bit. Nope. Well, we had the one new up there, Cardi B. Yeah, and, uh, and oh, Save, Save Your Tears, Tears also was not in the top five. Yeah. Yep. As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, still riding that racial bump is Morgan Wallen. Jesus. With Dangerous colon the double album. Oh boy. Number one. Yeah. This means that the highlights by the weekend is at number two. Debuting at number three, Medicine at Midnight for Foo Fighters. Uh, Shysta Season by Poo Shysty is at four. And rounding out your top five, The Voice by Lil Durk. Yep. I don't know um, who Poo Shysty is, but that might be one of my new favorite names. I don't know. Uh, I did end up listening <laughs> to that Medicine at Midnight album by Foo Fighters. Uh-huh. It's a it's very Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters album. Yeah, it's very Foo Fighters. I don't remember much about it because it's so much the Foo Fighters that I've bounced right off of me. Yep. Um, I'll have something quite similar to say in thoughts for a new album that came out last week. <laughs> Speaking of albums that came out last week, yeah, we have new releases. So if you like any of those albums in the top 200, we have new releases. Including As the Love Continues by Mogwai. Nope. No relation to Gremlins, the legend of the Mogwai. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But you're right. Huh. This is Mogwai. <laughs> Different. Uh, we also yeah. have Times by S.G. Lewis. Live at St. Helens Technical College, 1981. <laughs> by The Fall. And lastly, Open Door Policy by The Hold Steady. Let's get into some music news. Yes, let's, because, hey, some stuff happened. So you know how we talk about stuff before it actually happens? 
Always. And like we're pretty much on top of this stuff because we've been doing it for years and we're like following the news. Always. Well, guess what happened to Britney Spears? Yes, this is an update following our talk about the Britney Spears documentary, Framing Britney Spears, which you talked about. Yes. And this, but this is real life. In-depth discussion about what this could mean for her current conservatorship um, mm-hmm. for Britney Spears. And, well, hey, we're not the only ones who watched it and voiced our yeah. opinions on it. Because a probate judge on last Thursday overruled Jamie Spears' objection to an order establishing Bessemer Trust Company as a co-conservator of daughter Britney Spears' estate. Judge Brenda Penny appointed Bessemer as co-conservator along with Jamie Spears on November 10th. At the same time, Penny, uh, Judge Brenda Penny, also denied Spears' request to remove her father entirely from the conservatorship. Subsequently, Britney Spears' attorney, Samuel Ingram, submitted a proposed order effectuating the co-conservatorship. Jamie Spears' attorney objected to the language of the proposed order, saying it improperly reduced his powers over his daughter's estate. The judge denied those objections. Addressing the court on Thursday, Samuel Ingram said the purpose of the order was to give both Jamie Spears and Bessemer, quote, an equal division of responsibility in the hopes that they would sit down and figure out together the best way to handle this complex estate for the benefit of my client uh, being Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Quote, it's no secret that my client, Britney Spears, does not want her father as co-conservator but we recognize that removal is a separate issue. Ingram has separately indicated that he may seek to revisit his request to remove Jamie Spears entirely, but he did not do so on Thursday. Yeah, so... But it does seem to be trending that way. Yeah, so basically the uh, this is a small victory uh, for Brittany as it does kind of make sure that that bank does have um, some say and it's not just her father. But it's kind of a loss because it's still, the judge is still basically saying it's like, no, we're not removing the, removing Jamie from it, period. Like, and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. But you're right. It does start the momentum potentially for, for this case to kind of like slowly realize that Jamie is maybe not the person. But we'll see. Right. Um, you don't have it here, but the FX doc is not the only doc about Britney Spears. Apparently, there is one of, that Netflix is producing as oh, well Okay, that will be premiering sometime this year. Yeah, I did not know that. Uh, I saw that in Variety, I think. like I mean, Right I, after the FX premiered, everyone was talking about it. Yeah, Netflix came out and said that we have kind of the same thing. Now's the uh, time to do it. To that. Now's certainly the time to do it. So, yep. yeah. Good to hear. All right. And uh, secondly, and probably maybe more importantly, depending on your circles. Eh, maybe less importantly, but definitely something we knew was happening. Um, well, we yeah, have this, a date. This news dropped hours after, or I believe around the time we were recording last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, same thing, like a late Wednesday, early yeah, late Thursday. Wednesday night bomb here. Yep. Uh, so... 
fearless is born again. <laughs> uh, in not so many words. As Taylor <laughs> Swift was not just talking talking a good talk when she vowed to independently re-record all six of the albums she originally released on her former Big Machine label. The singer announced Thursday morning mm, that, technically. technically Thursday morning depending on where you were in the world <laughs> yeah. that her blockbuster sophomore album from 2008 would be the first in a series of full album remakes that is set to roll out one by one. The first out of the shoot will be Fearless, colon, Taylor's version, which is expanded to include 26 songs instead of the original 13. The first single from the album was out Thursday at midnight. Well, that's Friday at midnight, Thursday, 9 p.m., depending on when you are in the world. Same deal. And wouldn't you know it, it's Love Story, the classic hit. Uh, just as the first version of that song was the lead single from the first version of the album back in 2008. Yeah, and we ended up going on to be one of her biggest hits. Quote, I have now finished re-recording all of Fearless, which will be coming out soon. My version of Fearless will have 26 songs on it because I've decided to add songs from the vault, which are songs that are almost made the Fearless album but I've now gone back and recorded those so that everyone will be able to hear not only songs that made the album, but songs that almost made it, made it the full picture. Six of those 13 added tracks as promised are never before heard slash released. Yeah. So the other of those 13 were the bonus tracks that were on the platinum edition that came out later. Um, but yeah, uh, so this is basically her just following through on what she said she was going to do. This is the first of the, the opening salvos. Couple of things that I took from this. One, interesting that she's not starting from the top. Uh, doing Fearless first is skipping the self-titled record, yep. which is interesting. And I I get why she would want to focus on Fearless because it, it is kind hits. of... It's the Taylor Swift album where she became Taylor Swift. Um, yes. I think that the self-titled still has some songs on it, that mattered to her career, but she was a different kind of artist between those two records. Fearless is also notable because it was her first uh, record uh, album of the year at the Grammys. So it's also her big, like, critical breakthrough. It's the breakthrough. big coming out party. Right. And also Love Story was her first big song. Uh, I think it was also the first one that crossed the country border, yes. too into the pop it was industry. the beginning of the crossover era of her of her career um did you listen to the the love story the re-record of love story that came out on friday I did and that puts us right into thoughts yeah so it's that song isn't it it sure is uh yeah it hit a little differently though listening to it yeah i think i think it's so i i initially was like maybe not I was initially not on board all the way because I was, I kind of wanted to hear like different takes on these songs. And so the fact that this is so much just the original song just re-recorded was kind of disappointing. But then I read a take where it was basically like, oh no, but that's on purpose. And there's this person was purporting that the reason why she's making them so faithful is because one of the goals here is to make the original master 
meaningless. Like if she records the same song, there's no reason to go back to the original song. You're basically, she wants it to be like, no, this is a replacement, not a different version. So I think calling that, even calling every, all of this in this project, Taylor's version kind of reinforces that is because it's not only her name as the author of the song, it's also reinforced that she did everything involved with it. And so, yeah, it's just an interesting take that I didn't necessarily see. I thought this was gonna be an opportunity for her to do different takes, but in reality, no, this is just an opportunity for her to do the same songs. So yeah, I did listen to these back to back. Yeah. Um, well, I listened to the new version first. I thought, wait, is this how I remembered it? So I listened to the old version first, <laughs> old version second, yeah. listened to the new version again for a, th- a second time for round three. And yeah, it's like just listening to it, it sounds pretty similar, yeah. but the new version does seem a bit off. And I kept feeling like, oh, why is that? Maybe because like when she recorded it, she was in love. <laughs> kind of like, you know, that teenage 16 year old love story that you have. Well, it's interesting that you say that because she's on record actually saying that when she wrote Love Story, she didn't believe she had actually ever been truly in love. This was before she had actually had a real relationship, again, according to Taylor at the time. Right. So I watched <laughs> the actual music video on YouTube as this was released with. And the Romeo in that is changed uh, as she's grown because it's no longer a person, but rather the Romeo is her fans and her love she has for her fans. There's a lot of readings like that, I think, that you can do. Um, On a more general level, I think there's two main differences here. One, her voice is so much better than it was back in 09. Um, You can listen to the new version and she has so much more control over her tone now. She's better at taking breaths. In fact, one of the things I almost tweeted about because it's been on my mind lately is I can't wait till she does op- uh, releases the re-record of You Belong With Me, which is also on Fearless as the second single, because there are a couple of moments on that original recording where she just takes the biggest, noisiest <laughs> breath in the middle of that song. And now when I listen to it, it's super distracting. And she would not do that anymore. She knows better about keeping her voice like... That's the that's the sign of a of a of a, a seasoned singer, artist, like somebody who's not that necessarily that versed in singing. Now she's so much better and so much practice that I'm fascinated to see how that ends up. But uh, but yeah, and so she's a better singer, and also the production. She actually went and actually got a bunch of the people who played the original instruments on the original song. So that's why it sounds so close in that in that way is because she got pretty much the same same people. But what is different, though, is the mastering here. It's so much more of a subtle arrangement. I think it's way better than the original uh, production-wise. Because if you go back and listen to the original, it's so trebly and so loud because that was how everything was mastered to Mm -hmm. CDs in 2009. It was an era of music that I think we're finally getting out of now. A lot of people in the music industry called it the loudness wars. (laughs) where so much was just so much mastering on cd in the cd era was done to be as radio friendly as possible and that meant just blowing out your production to the like the nth degree and that's not the case anymore with folklore and evermore she's proven that as a producer and with producers she's worked with she's more willing to kind of let the let the arrangement breathe let the production breathe 
And I think that this re redo of Love Story actually lets the instruments actually have their time instead of it just being everything is on your ears at once, which is kind of how the original is. So that's good to hear. And promising and we'll for the see rest if of the that record. carries over to all the other songs because she did release a date for these as well. Yeah, April 9th. April 9th. Yep. April 9th. Uh, which, of course, adds up to 13 because Taylor Swift is Taylor Swift. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to hearing the whole thing of this. Um, also, last thing I'll say about this is Billboard confirmed that they will be treating the Taylor's versions of these singles as separate on the Billboard charts which means that you will see Taylor appear next week, guaranteed in the Hot 100. <laughs> hey, return to form. Because I was actually, a lot of people were asking about that because, and whether Taylor actually wanted that to be the case. Because I don't think Taylor's, like, goal here is to chart a bunch more. I think it's more about just to settle a score as it is to be financially success- successful. But I guess if that happens too, she's not going to complain. It's just uh, <laughs> added uh, damage. <laughs> yeah. So so we'll see. We'll be, keep seeing Taylor throughout the throughout the year. I'm sure. Yep. Uh, oh, I also listened to an album though. Okay. We'll try that from that song, and I'll be real brief with it. I listened to "Life Rolls On" by Florida Georgia Line. Oh, no. And as you said last week with the release of Medicine at Midnight being a Foo Fires ass Foo Fire album, this is a Georgia Florida line, Georgia Florida Georgia line ass album. It's going to call exactly them what you FGL. think. FGL. <laughs> it's just another one of those albums. It doesn't do anything to distinguish itself from anything previous that they've done. <laughs> it's just another one of those albums. They're coasting? Is that what you're saying? They're coasting. This is a coasting album, got. yes. Yeah. This is the, oh, we have to make another one of these? Fine, <laughs> we know what we're doing. <laughs> but yeah, um, take it or leave it, is it doesn't that, matter. It's not, it, what? Is that disappointing to you? I mean. Hoping for more? Yes, but are you ever disappointed going to McDonald's? <laughs> are, you, are you calling... Florida Georgia Line, the McDonald's of country music, because I'm actually on board with that comparison. I think it's I think it's a good comparison. I'm not loving it, but at the same <laughs> time, I know what I'm getting when I go to McDonald's. Sure. I know what I'm getting sure. when I go to Florida Georgia Line. Yeah. It's yeah. you're gonna get some hits, a lot of some ballads, and a lot of very drunken noise. But at the same time, <laughs> it'll produce drunken noise, and I can enjoy it. <laughs> but it's also nothing new that's gonna wow me or excite me. Right. Yeah. Okay. But all right. They, they do what they do well. There's a reason they have over a billion served. <laughs> Probably true. All right. Let's move on. All right. Uh, let's get into video games and as we round into hour two here. Jesus. Yeah, and it's not going to slow down either. We have a lot to talk about here. Well, it's because uh, we had news that dropped literal hours ago as we've been trying to get to, but can't because yeah. we've had other news stories to talk about. Too much to talk about. All right. Uh, let's get to video games with some upcoming video game releases, including Shattered Dash, Tale of the Forgotten King for the PC, Curse of the Dead Gods on PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC, Not New Consoles, yet <laughs> you'll get that update later and then persona 5 strikers for the ps4 switch and pc 
That sounds like okay, a soccer Xbox. game, but it's not. It's actually a Dynasty Warriors game. Yes. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> All right, let's get into the news. That was yes. today, as was four hours ago as of recording now. More or less. More or less. Nintendo Direct. This is not in um, order. No, it's not. It's backwards, actually. It's backwards order. Why is so this if you want to start from the top, start from the bottom. All right. Start at the bottom. Because, yeah, we'll go in order as it was released, as it was talked Also, about. this is not everything. I realized that there were just so many things that I kind of skipped things that we already knew about. Right. So let's start off with where Nintendo Direct started which was adding Pyra and Mithra from Xenoblade Chronicles 2 coming to Smash in March. Yeah, yeah not Sora. Everybody thought it was going to be Sora again because everybody always thinks it's going to be Sora. Yes, but that would be a back-to-back <laughs> Square Enix joint, though. Right. They had Sephiroth for the last one. So we knew. So they I went back in-house. It couldn't be. More Nintendo people. Uh, people were also saying for Crash Bandicoot, Bandicoot because uh, Crash 4 and Insane right. Trilogy recently came to the Switch. But no, not yet. Not yet. Not quite yet. Um, Fall Guys will be coming to the Switch later this year. Yep. Um, with its own update. Um, yeah, that's an easy game to port, though, I would yeah. assume. Why not? Why not play on Hey, why not? Uh, we also have Famicom Detective Club games getting Switch remasters on May the 14th. This was probably different Famicom Detective Club games. Yeah, this was probably one of the weirdest things they announced here because these are pretty obscure. They never came out in the U.S. Um, as the name implies, they were on the Japanese Famicom, the Japanese version of the NES. Mm-hmm. And they've completely been redone and modernized for the Switch. Um, so yeah, it's just out of nowhere. I'm not sure who was waiting for this. Uh, but hey, for all those people who love like looking at Nintendo's past and thinking about games we never got here in the States, it's cool that these are coming here. You know, we are at the age where some executive producer went through the back catalog <laughs> and said, hey, the, the, these are some games that never got released outside of Japan. Yeah. Let's just make a list of everything and then slowly release a new one every, every quarter. Maybe. Maybe somebody, somebody was really a champion for this thing. But someone's yeah. job. <laughs> cool nonetheless. Uh, we also have Samurai Warriors 5 later yep. this year speaking of dynasty warriors this is the samurai version of those games very the trailer was very dynasty warriors-esque you know what you're getting into with that yep we also had legend of mana hd for set for june 24th yeah we had known this, i don't know who was, this was ready for this <laughs> yeah we knew that this was coming but we didn't have a date for it yet and this showed a lot of actually really good looking footage so if y'all like those mana games back on the Super NES, uh, hey, here's a new one that nobody's played. Yep. Speaking of game that's been a while that no one's played, Mario Golf. Yes. Colon Super Rush coming June 25th. Yeah. Uh, weird they have that on June 24th for mana and then Mario yeah. on June 25th. Hey, but good, good for good for people, good for them because like after they did tennis, I wasn't surprised that they would have golf next. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, as a recent con- convert when it comes to video game golf, are you excited for Mario Golf? I texted my golf thing uh, family. Uh-huh. Hey, there's a new Mario Golf game coming up. Uh, and I believe the reply that I got back was, <laughs> let me see here. 
and I'm quoting here, for, uh, I'm quoting uh -huh. here, holy fuck, what the deal? <laughs> this looks like everybody's golf on steroids. Yeah. I'm stoked I'm in. That sounds awesome. Fun fact is that for a while, I don't know if this is still the case, but for a while, the, pe the people behind the Everybody's Golf series were the same developer of the Mario Golf games. Uh, the Camelot was people? So, so Clap Hands later took over, but at the time, Camelot was the studio doing both series for both okay. uh, platforms. And so the Mario Golf actually series shares a lot of DNA with the Everybody's Golf series. So well, you get, if you know that get, game, this is going to come to you guys really easily. Well, this is classic Mario Golf, and they added uh, the motion controls for yes. the controller. Yeah. So we can swing and play like normal golf, and this is probably going to be our summer game. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. No, you guys should have a lot of fun with this one. Yep. Uh, we also have Neon White for Winter 2021. This is yeah. from Annapurna. Did, so, did you see the footage for this thing? Um, I did. I'm really confused about what this is. It looks like it's like got shooter elements. It's very anime. It's shooter. It's cards. It's anime. Yeah. Uh, so, I believe this is the Annapurna. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. until after I actually got a better idea of where this came from, uh, because I thought this was very Japanese at first blush. But no, apparently, hey, remember Donut County? <laughs> yes. It's the Donut County guy, Ben Esposito, who is behind this. Oh, okay. Hmm. Does you know, it doesn't have anything name to do with on the uh, yeah. end, end card. So no, that's the weird thing is that apparently this is one of his joints. Also, it has um, an anim one of the animators helping on this is an animator who worked uh, as a storyboard artist on OKKO, hmm. who has some character credit here. So yeah, this thing I did not know what the hell it was during the the direct, but now the puzzle is starting to come together, and I was like, oh okay, it's not it's weird, but it's not Japanese weird. It's like, yeah, it's something else. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's inter interesting, nonetheless. It definitely caught my eye. But then again, Annapurna does that really well yes. with um, interesting storytelling and games. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Annapurna, we, I don't have it here. But if y'all didn't get a chance to play it on other consoles, uh, The Outer Wilds is coming to uh, Switch as well. They confirmed on this direct. Right, not to be confused with Outer Worlds. No, no, The Outer okay. Wilds. There is already... A switch version of the Outer Worlds. Yes, Outer Wilds, where um, yes. was that's the uh, time loop game? Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we also had Plants vs Zombies: Battle for Neighborhoodville Complete Edition coming March nineteenth. Really quickly. Been out on other month. stuff for a while here, but here's a here's a switch version. Yep. Uh, we also had Metopia. Yes. What appears to be a cross between RPG like me Street Pass game for the, three, the 3DS and Tamagotchi Life? Tamagotchi Life. Okay, so these require some explanation because I know you weren't in the 3DS uh, ecosystem. So 3DS had Street Pass, which was this thing where... No, no, I, I remember Street Pass. Yeah. So one of the things you got from Sweet Street Pass was you played this little game that was like this like RPG kind of thing that you had like Mii's can like fight monsters. Yes. And you would do better the more you street passed. Right, because they, level they up your become part of your army. I remember doing this running through an yeah. airport. <laughs> so Metopia, from judging from the footage, seems to bring a lot of elements from that, including heavier me customization. Uh, it mentioned that there is wigs and makeup now for me's. And then combine some elements of this game that 
I don't know how many people still remember Tomodachi Life, which was also on the 3DS. This was like a game where you had your Miis all living in a house together and they would interact by having dialogue with each other and like weird cutscenes would happen uh, that were all procedurally generated based on what they knew about the Miis you created. So it was almost this like weird like drama that you would watch between your actual friends in real life or sometimes even celebrities if you made like celebrity me's. It was a weird ass game that I've never actually played myself but I saw a lot of video of back in the day. So it seems like they are taking elements of that where interactions that your me's have with each other as they live with each other in this virtual house have direct impact on how they perform in the RPG half of the game. This was by far the most interesting thing I thought they had in this entire Direct. I was like, I kind of want this. Also, it seems like it's a co-op game too, so you can actually play with friends, which seems really cool. Yeah, this also seemed like the game where I was like, okay, that seems too complicated for me to ever want (laughs) to get involved in. See, I'm down. I'm down from Utopia. This is exactly the weird-ass Nintendo that I feel like we lost a little bit of in the Switch era, after the Wii era. And so I'm all about this. I want this I want to know what this is. All right, you take that, and I'll take Knockout City for May 21st. Yeah, so... It's dodgeball. Yeah, it looks like it's dodgeball meets that Rocket Arena game that EA also has. Mm -hmm. But, like, it seems too close to that, right? It's dodgeball. I like dodgeball. Sure, I guess. I don't know. I'm unclear about this. All right. We also have uh, Star Wars Hunters, a multiplayer competitive shooter. Yeah. Late... Uh, set for later 2021 i was kind of hoping this might be league of legends style but it might be more like overwatch so they did say it's in the description they described it as a third person competitive shooter which makes me think less league and more battle royale is actually the vibe i got from it if not battle royale maybe then like a squad based like thing i don't know it seems like so really, the only thing that's really confirmed is that, hey, it's an EA Star Wars project after we largely thought they were done with EA. It's Zanga. The story, yeah, but EA has a hand in it, I think. Yeah. Um, but So it's another example of like them branching out and letting all sorts of developers do this, do the uh, Lucasfilm properties now. Uh, in a game that I thought was super cool and kind of unique, DC Superhero Girls, <laughs> colon... Teen Power for June 4th. Yeah, this came out of nowhere, didn't it? Like, I knew that this existed, this franchise. Like, the cartoon is on HBO Max and stuff, so this exists exists in some capacity, but I didn't expect a game to be based on it and to look okay. Yeah, it looked like a fun game. I don't think I'll be able to play it, but it looked like a fun game. Superhero stuff, and then you also get some of the high school slice of life stuff. Yeah. It almost sounds like they're doing like a very westernized version of something like the um something like the Persona games, where there's that balance between the two. Mm-hmm. But I wonder where you how have the heavy school they life go. and the the outside yeah. life. Superhero potentially style. potentially could be way more interesting than the like target audience for this thing, which is young girls, right. presumably. Um it could be something bigger than that and actually might have, have an audience. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Interesting. Uh, speaking of Mario, um, items from Mario will be confirmed or have been confirmed for Animal Crossing update on February 25th next week. Yeah, we had 
more or less knew that they were going to do some sort of Mario event, but this confirmed it. Also, warp pipes. One of the things it showed was the item, the Mario warp pipe, can actually function as a functioning warp pipe in your island. So you can have a teleport of sorts between sides of your island, which could be really good depending on how you constructed it. It could be really helpful yeah. getting to the other sides. So you have to like get to the other side to put a warp pipe down though, right? Yeah, but once you've established that link, I'm sure it could be cool. Yeah. Uh, we also have Project Triangle Strategy for <laughs> later this year. Yeah. A demo is available today. Yes. So this is um, the same bunch from Square that gave us Octopath Traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, this is in that same series. But it's a tactical RPG. Uh, people were oh, comparing right. this it was to... the one that looked like Zelda but wasn't Zelda. So yeah, this is the one that. Oh, so a lot of people are comparing it to Tactics Ogre or Final Fantasy Tactics, right. that kind of tactics game. So this is one hundred percent a lot of people's shit and one hundred percent not my shit. <laughs> but the audience will find this, and I think a lot of people are going to be way into this. Yep. Uh, we also had World End Club from the Dangarampa team yeah. for May twenty eighth. This is a visual novel slash kind of murder mystery kind of game. Uh, the Danganronpa series is also kind of this. Also, this is apparently already on phones, and this is going to be a Switch port of an existing game. I found that out after the direct. Okay. Um, I mean, games already do that, though. What? Go from phone to console. Uh- yeah, I, I know, I know, but I didn't know it. it. I thought it was original for Switch when I watched the direct because they did not say it was existing elsewhere. Okay, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Genshin Impact. Uh, we also have still no Switch version of Genshin Impact, though. Yeah, we also have Ninja Gaiden Sigma Trilogy for June 10th. Yeah, uh, an expansion pass for Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity, and also Legend of Zelda: Skyward Sword HD coming this yeah. July. Which will feature the motion controls like the originals or button controls. So yeah, a couple notes uh, about that is um, they had EJ and Numa come on and basically say, sorry if you're expecting Breath of the Wild 2 news, I ain't got none. And as he said, we'll learn more later in the year about that game, but they are still in development. And yeah, and they just confirmed that, yeah, there's going to be an HD remake of Skyward Sword. Honestly, I don't really care about Skyward Sword. I didn't play it when it came out. And I don't plan on playing it now. <laughs> but this is where the beginnings of the whole story, though. Yeah, but is it really it's that important? Origin. I don't know. Uh, this game, I feel like, was one of the more divisive Zelda games when it came out. I feel like you had a lot of people saying, oh, the cool motion control stuff they do is good, and some of the dungeons are interesting. But then you had an equal amount of people being like, the first hour of this game is a tutorial slog. It's really hard to get into. And it's so, and it was the game that I think a lot of people thought tipped the scales on the Zelda formula is really old. And I think the reaction to this game, I think, is a lot of the reasons why Breath of the Wild and Link Between Worlds, which were the Zelda games came out after this, I think were the way they were, is because I think Skyward Sword was the tipping point. For a lot of people when it came to that old crusty zelda formula um they also announced a new uh, controllers for yeah. that as well which yeah. looked pretty cool they look cool they're based on the master short sword and the shield so yep. yeah neat 
and uh, Splatoon 3 was announced for next year, 2022. That was the big thing at the end of the presentation. I think it's smart. I think it's been time enough time for a new Splatoon game. I've never played them, but they have their fans, and it seems like they're really well-made shooters. So, hey, I might try it. Um, you don't have it here, but Monster Hunter Rise was also announced. They showed, well. well, we knew that was coming for a while. They just showed a new trailer. Right. And I think there's a new uh, skin for that as well for Monster Hunter fans. Yeah. So, so. Uh, out of all these games, what are you looking forward to? I, like I said, I think I'm most hyped about Metopia because that's the person I am. But I think there's a lot for everybody, I think, in this lineup. I think um, there's some stuff to be excited for. Oh, you don't have on here, but Capcom Arcade Games yeah. also announced. That's coming out on everything. Um, so you get, uh, 1942 free, mm-hmm. the plane game. And then everything yeah. else, like Street Fighter, is attached to a pack or a bundle. Yeah, that's the other reason why I didn't mention it because it seems like it's potentially really gross because it's a platform that you have to buy a bunch of add-ons for, which oh, yeah. we'll talk about a platform they have to buy a bunch of add-ons for. We'll get there. All right. Anyway. Anyways, yeah. Uh, Mario Golf Super Rush probably the only game I'm super excited kind yeah. of already pre-ordered maybe good. for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Otherwise, Nintendo Direct, um, yeah. done. That's all right, let's talk about something else. All right, so let's talk about some weird stories then, right? Yes, two weird stories I combined in one because I didn't want to have three stories, even though it's technically one after that too. <laughs> even though you don't want to talk about six days in Fallujah thing. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> we'll All right, there. so uh, because it is the 20th anniversary of a lot of shit going <laughs> on, Pokemon got some big, big plans. Yeah. Including a virtual concert. Featuring a performance by U.S. rapper. I wanted to specify that. Because I got this from a U.K. site, all right? <laughs> Jeez. Post Malone. Yeah, because when you think Pokemon, you think Post Malone, right? I mean, I do. Post Malone is a Pokemon. Or at least <laughs> he has them etched on his skin somewhere. I assume. Somewhere. Uh, so tune into the Pokemon YouTube channel for the 25th anniversary uh, for Pokemon Day, which is February 27th. Uh, catch the live concert headline by a digitized Post Malone. Yeah. The Pokemon company says the, quote, massive online party will feature a few surprises you'll want to stay around for. A bit unexpectedly, the virtual Pokemon Day show kicks off a year-long music series called P25, organized by the Pokemon company, and Universal Music Group? <laughs> P25 is set to debut new songs from rising artists and award-winning superstars like pop icon and American Idol judge Katy Perry. Yes. Which, according to the description of the 25th anniversary website, um, we don't have a lot of details of <laughs> about it. But the Pokemon company says to expect details to drip in and out throughout the year. So if you had told me that there was going to be a concert series for the Pokemon 25th anniversary, I don't know what I, what I would have believed. I would have said, well, yes, they already do concert series for the Pokemon music. Yeah, but not like that. 
no like, not like this, this is very different than that because none of these artists like have any songs about pokemon like what are Except they gonna get Weird that Al. dude hey do you remember that song that that one i think it was was that a really early young thug song that was like his diamonds they say pikachu you remember I think that so yeah do a young thug concert <laughs> Like who has Pokemon like songs? Like nobody. So where? How are they getting these artists? Like what are they deciding? Like I said, Weird Al has Polkamon. Yeah, but that was already like that was officially sanctioned though. They had him do that for the second movie. Yeah. (laughs) To do a Weird Al concert is that what you're saying? Yes. (laughs) I mean, I'm not. It's not. You're not wrong. I'm not anti it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what to think about this. It's weird mm. is one of the reasons why I want to talk about it. Also, we'll uh, for Pokemon 25th anniversary, go to your McDonald's and get a Happy Meal for Pokemon oh. card starters. And well, box. in theory, but the reality is apparently a bunch of freaking old dudes are snatching them up before kids can get them because the Pokemon card market is super hot right now, even new cards. Yep. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's like people posting pictures of like the card racks at targets completely bare because just people are immediately rushing to get new cards well yeah and then go to you or not youtube go to twitch and then search card openings yeah it's a big deal right now pokemon for like the first 400 people yeah so yeah if you have if you're like me and you sold your pokemon your entire collection of pokemon cards that you had collected your entire life um five years ago at a garage sale to an angry dude for five dollars you're probably very upset right now i'll give you the five dollars back if you want it back so much i just want my dignity back at this point <laughs> i am so mad at that dude i was gonna sell him for 22 which is also too low but he refused to buy them unless it was for five dollars because he literally told me to my face that they were worthless and i was doing him a, and he was doing me a favor yeah, when they say that line, that's how you know that you got something on your hands. Because mm-hmm. he knew something I didn't. Because at the time, even at the time, five years ago, I still thought they were, I actually did think they were worthless because my entire life, that was the narrative we were told, right? Is like, oh, these things, yeah, you're told, like people say your Charizard is going to be worth hundreds of dollars, but it's not really. And then so I the, believed it. And then we have the proof of that from Beanie Babies being absolutely right. worthless. Exactly. We all watched Beanie Babies and we all saw, okay, so Pokemon's going to be worthless. Now we know let's not worry about this shit and freaking 2020 now people are paying off their freaking mortgage and their student loans off selling their original holograph charizards i had three of them yeah why do you think you wanted five dollars for them i was so mad like i've been so mad about this i anyway did you start pulling your hair out oh no no this was gone before that (laughs) (laughs) unrelated Hashtag the millennial experience, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, I'm less annoying subject, potentially. Oh, no, this is a more annoying subject. But not now for you to it. get incensed about something. All right, oh, let's do yeah. it. Oh, yeah, it's for me to pull out my hair. <laughs> All right, so Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Talked about it a few times here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Putting it lightly. Leave that one. Okay, yes, Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. Media boat favorite. Uh, personal favorite. Yeah. Screw media boat. And thus personal media favorite. boat favorite. And media boat favorite. We talk about has, it enough here on the media boat podcast. Has come to the PS4. Uh, 
you can get it on the PS5, the Xbox One, upgraded Xbox Series X. And you can even play it on the Switch with the recent Melody of Memories. Uh-huh. But you can't play it on PC. Announcer uh, voice, until now. In a world. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Kingdom Hearts is coming to PC for the first time. But it's by publisher Epic Games. Yeah. Because uh, PC ports during uh, the Epic Games Store Spring Showcase was revealed. And as you may have guessed, the Kingdom Hearts games will be Epic Games Store's exclusives on the PC. Or now. No timed exclusives, yeah. as most things are. The entire series will be released on March 30th. The series is pretty <laughs> complicated, but if you haven't heard or so, several Kingdom Hearts collections are coming to PC. And they've got about a dozen games between them. So I know you know what these are, so will you tell our audience what you what they're offering? Uh, yes. The standalone title... Um, so you can get Kingdom Hearts 1.5 and 2.5 HD remakes, which is six games plus two movies for the price of $60. Yeah. No, $50, $49.99. Yeah, those are $10 cheap one. For $49.99, $50. For $60, you can get Kingdom Hearts 2.8 HD prologue remix. Prologue. Which, if you ask me, should not be sixty dollars. No, because that include because that is only the two point eight prologue game, mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, right, and the back cover movie, right, for sixty dollars. That's three games more. That's three games for ten dollars more uh-huh. than for the mm-hmm. six collection Older games. I guess the the pricing is probably less based on the content and more based that that was a. PS4 era game as opposed yeah. to a PS2 era game. Yes. Uh, for the Kingdom Hearts 3 and Remind DLC, it's $60. For Kingdom Hearts Melia Memory, it's $60. Mm-hmm. So if you want to buy everything on PC, it's going to cost you $240 to buy all the games. Or Go on the PlayStation Store right now, and for $25, you can get the Kingdom Hearts all-in-one pack <laughs> for $25. Yeah. yeah. That's every game besides Melody of Memory for $25, and that yeah. is bullshit. So, yeah, pricing is probably the biggest problem here. Of course, you also get get into all the people who are angry that it's on Epic and not Steam. That's a whole oh, other yeah, conversation. I didn't even get to that, that argument. Yeah, but yes, you're right. The pricing is obnoxious here for these games. Well, also on the Xbox side, these games are on Game Pass right now. Yes. So you can play on a PC with the Game Pass. So no, you can't. That's the thing. So the PC Game Pass ecosystem is still separate from the console. Okay. There's no, there's two separate lists. So no, Kingdom Hearts games are not available on the PC Game Pass. So that's the thing is that they know they have a locked audience here. They know that anybody who's going to want to play Kingdom Hearts on PC will have to pay this price to do so. That's why these are so high, because they know they can get away with it. Yes, but this does mean the modding community is going to be all up on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a lot of people were very quick to make jokes about, 
what you could possibly see Donald doing after these games come out. And I'm like, eh, Donald's probably been doing stuff on the internet for years at this point. This is not new. <laughs> and yeah, so I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird situation, but and I'm glad that these are available to people who maybe have been holding out for a PC version to play these games. But really, they're available in so many forms at this point. Yeah. Why wait? Is the question. Yeah, um, especially for the HD remixes. Those mm-hmm. are 15 year 20 year old games. Right. They're 15 old. year old games. They're old games in there. No. So no, no, not not worth the price of admission. Jesus, are we wait, are we really 20 years out from Kingdom Hearts One? Kingdom Hearts One was 2002. Oh, almost. Okay. Jeez. That's scared me for a second. <laughs> Next year. Next year. Holy shit. Next year, 20th anniversary of Kingdom Hearts. I didn't think that that was going to happen anytime soon. This is, <laughs> we're in year 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yeah, that's wild to me. Wow. Okay. Anyway. All right. So anything else you want to say about Kingdom Hearts? Get off your chest before we move on. Um, don't spend your money on this. Yeah. Show Epic Store that we mean business by not giving them business. Yeah, giving them the business, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, no I, this is just absurd. I mean, I get why you're doing it. And they yeah. have a deal with Square Enix. This is exclusive. It's just the pricing for this is absurd. It's Especially for, since you it's get this for so much cheaper on a console. There's no reason to, to pay for, for a full price game. Yeah. Speaking of absurd, one last real quick news story. We do not have time to get into it. It's a whole can of worms. But I just want to mention it because it was probably the biggest story, act- that actually, the actually biggest story in video games this week. Uh, so a little game called Six Days of Fallujah uh, got announced, re-announced, I should say. It is a game that, as the name implies, takes place during a certain... Um, um, period of combat during the Iraq War that happened in the 2000s. It was a game originally announced back in 2009. was going to be published by Konami, but then was canceled when Konami got cold feet. Um, the game has resurfaced. The dude who used to be in charge of the studio who developed it back in the day is trying to resurrect it. And um, has been doing a circuit of interviews where he's trying to justify bringing back such an old uh, irrelevant game to a current audience and he's just making a complete fool of himself trying to support this game trying to say that the game is not political when it's literally a game that takes place during the iraq war a war that is still happening (laughs) it's Mm. it's embarrassing it's ridiculous there's a lot of baggage here about how he is purporting that the game tells its story. Supposedly it's based on, you know, real stories he's heard from soldiers. He's also saying that the game does not address things like the use of, you know, potential, potentially techniques. like p- potential, like chemical warfare that maybe, maybe the U S military allegedly did during this confrontation. Yeah. It goes some places and he's trying to say like, Oh no, my game doesn't do this. So it's just, it's a mess, and it's so weird. It's just a weird, weird story uh, that this thing is even seeing the light of day again. Would this game actually come out? Who knows? But 
the guy seems to really want it to when it seems completely tone deaf for 2021. I mean, we're still in the same war. Yes. So Even I don't know if that's a bad idea at the more time, about us than it is about the game. Yeah, it's a bad idea at the time and it's a bad idea now. Um, so just wanted to real quick mention it. It might pop up again if there's more news about it in the future. Wait, weren't we talking about being tone deaf earlier in this podcast? We were, yes. Well, All comes full if circle. you've been listening to us for this entire podcast, clearly yeah. half hours. Thank you. Over. Thank you. We have a lot to say. Yes. But and there's still the more we things. could have talked about if we kept oh, yeah, the four no. stories. Yeah, if only. But yay, but thanks for listening to us talk. We're all done talking now. As that wraps up the video games, and that wraps up this podcast. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week for another episode of the Media Boat Podcast. If you want to catch our mugs in video form, go to YouTube and search Media Boat Podcast on there. If you want to listen to us in audio form, we're on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere where you get your podcasts, you can find us. On social media, our handle on Twitter is at Media Boat Cast. If you want to find us on Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast and find our page. If you want to find us on the internet, we're MediaBoatPodcast.com. If you want to email us at the inter- on the internet, we are MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. I think that will do it. So thank you for listening or watching. We'll be back next week. Yep, we'll be back uh, with more episodes, more news, more thoughts. Yeah, all sorts of things. Ooh, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. All right. Hopefully not as long as a podcast. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.